Good morning. Welcome to Wake Up Carolina. Monday morning, February 12, 843-661-0937 is our number. Good morning, Josh. Morning. Morning, Royal Rev of Radio. Good morning. The big game was yesterday. Uh, I guess the fallout of the big game, uh, the tardiness, the lack of performance at work are relating to the big game. I'm convinced they're trying to get the big game, Josh, because I know how excited you are about the big game. I'm excited. Excuse me. I'm um I'm a believer that they're trying to figure out a way to get the big game the Saturday the Sunday before President's Day. Because a certain well, I mean obviously a larger percentage have President's Day off than a random Monday morning in February. I just hope that the the Yukon Athletics Department and the South Carolina Athletics Department are able to put that together. <laughs> oh, that's the big game you're talking about. Right. <laughs> you, you had me. Okay, there, you got is, me. Is there another? You got me. Excuse me? See, I was following along. I was like, why are you calling it the what big mean, game? No, to, to, to move the big game yep. to the Sunday <laughs> before President's Day, you got to get travel worked out between the Yukon Lady Huskies and the South Carolina Lady Gamecocks. There's no way to make the big game work unless you coordinate with those the logistics right, right, yes. with those two um I follow sensationally popular <laughs> American sports franchises. Right. Um so anyway, I just hope Gino and Dawn can work that out. Uh since the big game is what someone or what everyone waited yes. for with uh with bated breath you are correct. yesterday. Did play a kind of a postseason exhibition football game at the end. Um, that had what everybody and their brother in the world watching it pretty much. I mean, I, we had a situation, my wife and I got back home to the beach yesterday afternoon and we had a situation and I, she needed me to help her do something, go out. And I said, Hey, I don't want to go. Let's go at halftime. Fine. We'll go at halftime. We went out at halftime and guys, it was like COVID. <laughs> I mean, there was nobody, nobody out, out wow. nothing open. I mean, it's like the the Super Bowl is this cult phenomenon, like a holiday. It, it, it's it's rev. It's it's eerie. I mean, it's it's worse than that. I watched a good bit of Chernobyl on HBO Max over the weekend, and it reminded me of the you know the um, Chernobyl after the fact. <laughs> oh, wow. I mean, they, they, I mean, I don't think we had a nuclear reactor explode, but I mean, we went from point A to point B, which was about uh, ten minutes from here to there. There was no Body out. I mean, it was like Chernobyl meets COVID. Speaking of COVID, only you read or not, Josh? Did you listen yesterday to what Pfizer said? I did not. They're ready for the next big fight. Okay. Oh, mm-hmm. yep. just in time. Yep. Yeah, they're working on some sort of cancer drug. But but on all their ads, they said, "And we are ready for the next big fight." Are they predicting the future? Do do they know something we don't know? Um, I have no idea. Congratulations. To the Kansas City Chiefs, I guess you can say now dynasty. I'm going to win three of five, play in four of five. Um, I think they lost to Brady in the Tampa Bay Buccaneers one of those years, but they won it in 21, uh, won it in uh, won it in 2023, and now again in 24 they played against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in one of those years and lost to Tom Brady where they probably had the better team. I mean, it's somewhat of a fishy, a football aficionado, or as uh, Bad Boy likes to say, a football bozo, football-headed Headed bozo. bozo. Um, <laughs> Shanahan and Purdy are good. 
Reed and Mahomes are great. And great beats good about every time. I mean, it just does. I'm sorry. Um, two plays in particular. Um, Purdy has a chance to win the Super Bowl uh, in their first possession of overtime, except for a safety blitz. An over-the-top blitz that San Francisco just didn't pick up. And he had to rush his throw. And then Andy Reid's offensive genius play calling down the stretch. I mean, Reid knows he's got one of the generational quarterbacks and he lets that guy make plays. And um, so, yeah, Shanahan and and Purdy are good. Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes are great. And in moments like that, um, I mean, it's a little bit it's unfortunate. Sometimes it's timing, Josh. Um, Phil Mickelson would have been the greatest player in the world for a generation, if not for a cat named Tiger Woods. I mean, Phil was still really good. I mean, his, his, his career is a... Hall of Fame career. He's been an unbelievably consequential golfer. Um, there are going to be two or three football programs that are similar to that. But it's just a bad time to not be a San, uh, excuse me, a Kansas City um, Chief, the Buffalo Bills. I'm talking about thinking about Will Bolt. I um, mean, I think if not for Mahomes and Andy Reid, Buffalo may have a Super Bowl. Uh, the Ravens may have a Super Bowl. But you kind of you play in golf the same time yeah, Tiger did. You're playing football the same time uh, that. Mahomes and and Andy Reid did. Uh, I would say Twitter's a you know we're talking about Friday morning sitting in this chair and thinking about the most important issues facing America. You've got a a Supreme Court decision. You've got a an interview with Vladimir Putin. You've got a uh, uh, special counsel report. Today Twitter is a fire with football talk. It's the advertisements. It's the you know, the scuttlebutt of after the game, it's um, the halftime show. What I mean, Monday morning should be. And, and I, I got to confess, the halftime show doesn't bother me. I mean, it, you know, people lose their minds about, well, it's not the Stones. It's not, you know, Aerosmith. It's not, I mean, that's their generation, not my generation. Well, I mean, yeah, that's, that's your generation, not theirs. That's their generation, not yours. I just don't put much into who they choose. I mean, the one time they got it right, <laughs> uh, twice. They've got it right twice. They had the Stones and Springsteen, mm-hmm. a fairly close one of another. If you remember, Rev, whoever makes that call for the NFL decided classic rock, you know, um, old school rock and roll was going to be the flavor for a little while. And now they're just, I mean, they, I guess they ran out of old school <laughs> rock and roll bands to play at halftime yeah, that, yeah, of the that's Super Bowl. It. That's the reason. They ran out. Well, I mean, it was the who? It was. It was the Stones. McCartney. Yeah, Springsteen, McCartney. You're right. Some of our heroes. Um, now, many people say that Prince was the best ever, and it's hard to argue. It, I mean, he, it, that was great. That was an well, event I mean, itself. I'll still take the Stones and Springsteen yeah, over course. Prince, but I mean, I yeah, get, I get yeah. what you're saying. The showmanship yep. that goes along with a 25 minute, uh, just I mean, it, it, it's a show for the masses. It's not. Uh, did you stand in line and buy a ticket to see the Stones in an outdoor venue? Do you remember the day that McCartney and Lennon wrote, no, that's 25 minutes. I'm watching the Super Bowl because everybody else is watching it. And if you don't believe it, go out next Super Bowl at halftime and you'll feel like you're in uh, a COVID-stricken Chernobyl uh, for sure. 843-661-0937 is the number. You could have gotten some stuff done yesterday during the Super Bowl if you needed to. Did you watch the game, Josh, at all? No. None. Mm, nope. That's was, interesting. I've not seen a number this morning. What, what do you expect the number to be? A hundred million? I'd say 200. 200 million mm-hmm. in America or around, around, around the world? Around okay. The world. Yeah. In, in America. 
Uh, probably hundred million. Okay, that's kind of where I'm headed. hundred million. I mean, imagine that, guys. One of every three and a half people, one of every three and one quarter person watching a game, and you kind of wonder how many of that audience knows what a first down is. How many of that audience knows what a complete pass is? How many of that first down knows what a conversion down? I mean, it's so you start event, getting in the weeds a little bit. It's an event bigger than football. I mean, it's just well, it, it's an event. It's the biggest event in America. I mean, it's other than the UConn Lady Gamecock basketball game, <laughs> of which I mean, there's a new sheriff in town for sure. I think we can honestly say after yesterday, didn't watch the game, but I saw the score. I mean, the baton has been passed. And here's a fair question, guys: Is Don Staley? I mean, I understand this women's basketball. I've made my opinion of women's basketball quite clear. But we're talking about greatness, and we're talking about Mahomes and Andy Reid. I mean, they're they're the greatest on the greatest or in the greatest sport America's ever known, the NFL. I mean, soccer would still outpace the NFL globally. But if you're the greatest in the NFL, I mean, you're you're rock star in America. But there is no doubt that the University of South Carolina women's basketball team has passed UConn as the gold standard in college basketball. I mean, I understand Geno's won all those championships, and Dawn's only won two, played four, three, four. Uh, anyway, uh, is it fair? Has there ever been a coach at South Carolina or Clemson that enjoyed that level of success? I mean, Tanner's got two championships. Dabo's got two championships. Dawn's got two championships. But I don't remember Dabo's Tigers or Ray's Gamecocks ranked number one 90% of the year. I mean, they, you know, they're back and forth. Number one in the top four, you know, uh, the Gamecocks were number six. Uh, they were the number two seed going to Omaha that year. I mean, I'm thinking about those two runs. I mean, the Dabo run in football, which is the biggest run in the, in the South. I mean, there's no doubt about it. Ray's run in baseball. I mean, it's still, you know, a major sport in a, in a Power Five conference. But I don't know if Ray's run at USC baseball Dabo's run at Clemson football is anywhere near as successful as successful. I didn't say relevant. I didn't say matters as much. I mean, I think I've established where I stand there. I mean, I'll be honest with you. I think Dabo's run in football far outpaces Ray's run in baseball. But when you look at that that sport, and let's say, okay, we're, we're not we're talking about the relevancy of the sport, the importance of the sport, the significance of the sport, who has had a better go of it? I mean, the the Lady Gamecocks are number one in women's basketball about every damn week for the last six years or something crazy um, like that. To, anyway. To, to put it in perspective, Josh, though, talking about the number of people watching and the fact that it is such a huge event, bigger than football, bigger than sports, but just do the comparison. A World Series game probably has, what, 10 million people watching? Seven, eight, nine, may, maybe 10 if the Yankees are playing the Dodgers or or something like that. And, and if they're saying that the Super Bowl has 100 to 200 million people watching, that's 10 to 20 it, times the It's the, the biggest audience. event in the world. I mean, it really and truly is. Um, and to believe they held both of those monumental contests on the same day <laughs> is a bit of a travesty. Now, see, I could argue, as a good old Southern boy, you ready, Josh? I could argue that the UConn-USC women's basketball game was the opening act for the Super Bowl and the Super Bowl is the opening act for, you ready? The Daytona 500. There you go. Next Sunday, when the good old boys get down to business in, uh, in Daytona, I think I saw someone sent me a calendar of events 
and it starts about Wednesday with Daytona 500 qualifying, and then you've got the qualifying races, and then you've got the Saturday affair, and then Sunday, Josh, the good old, I know, the great American race, as um, Ken Squire famously um, coined that phrase. So, yeah, sports getting back into swing. I mean, the end of the football season is official, right? I mean, we're done. Super Bowl ends the football season, college and pro, and you kind of wander around waiting on pitchers and catchers to report, but you do have NASCAR if you're um, a fan of that somewhat niche sport. <laughs> and it is somewhat um, niche. But congratulations to Kansas City. Once again, good. Shanahan and Purdy meets great. And great being Mahomes and Andy Reid. And my money's on great about every single time. Now, Joe Biden made an appearance. If you saw this or not and complained about package sizes and how they're, you know, they're, they're, they're taking advantage of the consumer. I mean, imagine the guy that printed the last $2 trillion of stimulus money talking about shrinkflation. <laughs> I mean, the the, the irony there. Well, I mean, it, but, but it's just the guy has no clue. And, and, you know, the people that handle him may have less of a clue uh, than he does. Takes Mondays to make Fridays, 843 Six six one zero nine three seven. I do want to, in a bit, go back to some of the um, serious subjects, and not that the Super Bowl is not a serious subject, but some of the um, some of the three. St- I want to talk more about the three stories that broke Thursday night. We tried to cover as um, as good as we could Friday morning. I still believe the biggest story is Biden. I mean, I, I went back, listened to excerpts of the Tucker interview. I didn't listen to it in its entirety again, but I've listened to it once in its entirety and I've gone back and listened to bits and pieces and some of the critique and criticism that comes along with that. I went back and listened a good bit to some of the um, Supreme Court bannering back and forth. Kind of interesting. Um, The argument that, is it Alito? The argument that Alito makes about Iran. If you saw that, you're nodding your head. I I thought that was a pretty um, interesting and very academic argument he made um Fonnie Willis I mean I got it written down Fonnie Willis turns into Rico mm-hmm, okay Rico you're going after president with Rico laws right okay um Rico leads to boyfriend boyfriend leads to misuse of state and federal funds who's in bigger trouble in Georgia Donald Trump or take a load off Fonnie Willis take a break <laughs> back in a few moments Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven is our number. Okay, we're done with football. Football is officially over. College, NFL. I mean, we've got spring practice around the corner in some of the college games, but football is done. And the the moral of the story, Josh, is this: and you don't have to be a football headed bozo to know this. When great meets good, great normally wins. Not every time. At times, good upsets great, but Great is Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid. Um, three Super Bowls, playing in a fourth. I mean, that's great. I mean, that's – you start getting into rare air when that combo of coach and quarterback, and I think the league – I think football is so quarterback-centric anyway. And um, tip of the hat to Brock Purdy, Mr. Irrelevant. Six-round draft choice, last kid drafted in the 2022. Am I right, 2022 NFL draft, um, for him to have ascended to this height. Um, but Purdy is more limited than 
um, Mahomes, and Shanahan is just not as good a coach. I'm sorry. He's just not. He's a good coach, a very good coach, but not as good as Andy Reid. 843-661-0937. So let me ask you one more, one okay. more sure. football-related question. Uh, and I just thought of this when you said coach. So it's it's been made of a big deal on Twitter about that moment where Kelsey went up and bumped into Andy Reid and yelled at him. Um, what do you think of that? Is that yeah. acceptable? Well, I mean, if, if Reid's cool with I don't know. I mean, I, I'm not the person to get to make that call. Uh, he didn't fly when I played. I mean, he didn't put your hands on a coach. Right. He didn't push a coach. But, I mean, Reid, I mean, he's got to address that the way he sees fit. And if he thinks that was in, you know, disrespecting the chain of command of the NFL, well, I mean, he obviously is doing that. But is it about intensity and wanting to win and wanting to be on the field? On, uh, you know, and from what I'm gathering, Kelsey was real frustrated he wasn't on the field when that fumbled. The tight end missed a block. Uh, the, the San Francisco player kind of raked the ball out of the Kansas City running back's hands. And Kelsey just frustrated that he's not in the game. So he can make, you can't make a difference on the sideline. So, so the intensity of the moment, you know, putting your coach in an embarrassing predicament, uh, the Chiefs will have to address that as they see um, as they see fit. Uh, what was the over under on Taylor Swift shots, and how many did we get? <laughs> there, there was a game going around the internet. You know, take a shot every time they showed a shot. Of I think she was Taylor taking Swift. a shot, wasn't she? Oh, they, yeah, I think she. I, mean, she I, I just think a, it adds to the storylines. I, I don't have no, a problem at all. Problem with it. With it. I mean, I, I don't, and I don't understand the the animus that people have. I certainly don't understand. She's a psyop. I mean, she's a plant, <laughs> you know, from Mars in the tenth degree, and she's there to make sure Biden gets elected. And she's spying on the NFL. I mean, I see some of this crazy stuff. And guys, you know me. I mean, I'm normally open. Yeah, there, there, there's a good conspiracy theory. <laughs> if there's a good one, don't leave me out. But, but count me out of that one. I'm just not on board uh, with that one. I'm happy. Hey, if she's happy and he's happy, have you know? You know, I'm happy for him. Yeah, but that, that's me. Um, very few NFL players are not the high wage earner in their family. Kelsey would be one of those NFL players <laughs> that is not making as much money as his wife is. Um, does that bother? Well, I mean, not his wife. I mean, they're not yeah. married. Uh, I'm jumping the gun here, but man, I don't know. I don't have any idea where that relationship goes and I don't care where it goes. I mean, I'm not, I'm not at all bothered that she became a focal point. If I ran the NFL and Taylor Swift was dating a player on one of my high profile teams, you damn skippy. I'd have her on television. Every time I could turn around, I'd have her promoting. I'd have her. Yes. One of the most recognizable artist in the world one of the most popular human beings in the world and if i ran a um a sports and entertainment empire and one of the most popular human beings on the planet came to the games and i'm not going to make her a part of the experience i mean you're derelict in your duties as commissioner of the nfl or owner of the uh, kansas city chiefs or cbs sports or fox or whoever if you don't include that as part of the uh of the storyline, we did not talk as much Friday as I should have because we had so much other um, stuff going on, but we didn't talk as much about the the 67-32 vote by the House in an emergency security spending bill that separated. Remember, we had the $118 billion bill that included some of the um, uh, $20 billion for Israel. No, $20 billion for border security. 60 billion 
for uh, Ukraine, twenty billion for Israel, about ten billion. Some of the Pacific, you know, Taiwan, China—they don't call it that—but some of the Pacific security measures, and about ten billion for humanitarian relief in Gaza, the West Bank, and and Ukraine. Well, I mean, the Senate, the Republicans in the Senate. This is hard for me to get my arms around, but this is where we are. I mean, they voted on a emergency security spending bill that was about Ukraine and not the border. I mean, imagine that. Can we break it down? I mean, re- remember we asked Ryan Schmelz either Thursday or Friday, Ryan, is there any chance that they could have a standalone bill on the border, a standalone bill on Ukraine, a standalone bill on Israel? And he said, I think that's what they're working on. Well, they did. And they got it passed out of the Senate. 67-32, I think 17 Republican senators voted for it. Lindsey Graham did not. Mm. Lindsey Graham did not vote for the border security bill, excuse me, for the Ukrainian funding bill. But it lets me know where McConnell is as minority leader. I mean, it's obvious he is far more interested in funding Ukraine and the continuation of that meat grinder in that part of the world than he is our, um, our southern border, because uh, in a standalone. So you got Israel, you got Ukraine, and you've got the southern border. The Senate decided to take up Ukraine before they decided to take, to take up the southern border with an emergency security spending bill. I mean, it's dead in the House. I don't believe there's enough votes in the House. I don't know. I'm not the, um, the whip. I'm not the guy responsible for knowing how many yes, how many no's are there in our caucus. But, but I just don't believe that there is enough votes in the House to pass any sort of standalone bill for Ukraine, especially when you exclude the southern border. I mean, the, 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 the insulting nature of that is beyond the pale, but Langford is McConnell's lackey. And Langford, I mean, he wasn't out this Sunday trying to sell this bill because I understand it didn't go well at all inside the caucus. Some of the... um. Some of the pretty good yeses turn into maybes and noes. Lindsey's got an interesting argument. And I'll give Lindsey credit for being a thoughtful politician. I know some of you get frustrated with him. Uh, he's kind of cuts both ways. He's an enigma in the weirdest way imaginable. But Lindsey said that he would be for the Ukrainian funding bill if we capped annual immigration at 10000 And I'm talking about border passes. I'm not talking about Ellis Island. I'm not talking about give us our huddle. I mean, I'm not talking about any of that. I'm talking about capping it at 10000 per year. But I mean, that's closing the border. I mean, if you, I don't know, have a clicker, guys in the timber business. My dad was working at a lumber mill, a sawmill. So I remember he'd bring home one of these clickers, you know, when he'd go out and, and uh, cruise timber. And I was thinking about, okay, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. I mean, it wouldn't take but a minute to get to 10,000. So that might be a reasonable place. I mean, once again, I'm a hard no on Ukrainian funding, but if Lindsay could figure out a way to get language in the Senate bill that basically shut down the border after the first 10,000 illegals, I mean, I wish it were zero and it should be zero because illegal is illegal. And I mean, the, the word illegal by definition means it's breaking the law, but I may go along with that. I mean, in in the name of securing the southern border, I may go along with a reduced amount to Ukraine. I don't know about 80 billion, but a reduced amount to Ukraine in trade for 
after 10,000 illegals cross our border, we're locking it down. I mean, we're going to let Texas do what they want to do, Arizona do what they want to do, California. I mean, it's a blue state, very blue state. They may just keep opening up the, the freeways of immigration. If they do, then that's their baby. Let them say grace over um, that and, you know, figure out a way to block some of the funding that they'll need to take care of the excess population. Did you see what Donald Trump, I guess he posted on Truth Social about uh, future grants and money, just giving away money to foreign uh, foreign countries? He's, he wants to stop all gifts of money and just say everything will be considered a loan at great terms, maybe zero interest and no no payback until you basically turn on us. Yeah, I saw the NATO. That's some of the NATO funding. Yeah, I saw that. Um, somebody played a bit of he sitting down with some of the NATO leadership. Um, he had some interesting things to say Saturday at Coastal Carolina. Some I'm glad he said. A couple of things I wish he'd left unsaid. But typical Trump. <laughs> you can't get it all. I mean, you can't get exactly what you want from Trump. You get what you want and normally a little more. Take a break. Back in a few. 843-661-0937 takes Mondays to make Fridays. We're all waking up together, stayed up too late, watching the end of the game. Good meets great. <laughs> great almost always wins. Let's go to the phones. Williams in Orangeburg listening to WTQS. Good morning. Good morning. Hello, sir. How You're you on. Doing? Good morning, Williams. How are you? All right, man. I just want to let you know that the American First Party took my granddaughter right away, my daughter right away, and took your daughter right away of making a choice of my own body. That's what the America First. Williams, that's not true. It is true. Oh, uh, if a woman chooses to have an abortion, they can still have an abortion. No, they can't. After six weeks, they can't, right? Do you think they should after six weeks? I mean, they don't, some of them don't know whether they're pregnant or not. So what is a reasonable amount of time, Williams? When should I we make? Let, let, let me finish. And it depends today. on the state. Well, I mean, okay, but in South Carolina, Williams, at what point in time should a woman not be allowed to have an abortion? Um, it should be up to the woman. It should be up to your daughter, right? How about the guy? How about the father uh, in this scenario? I mean, I understand I mean, the woman carries the baby. I understand the woman delivers the baby, but it takes two to tango. You know that. So, so, so what sort of right should a potential father have in this? Okay, let's say something, something happened to the father. Then what? Then what? But then I'm what? talking about under normal circumstances, a, a young man and young woman have consensual sex. The woman gets pregnant. The, 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 the father has no say in whether the woman aborts that baby or not. And it's not her baby. It's their baby, right? Uh, let me ask you something. You happy about them taking the right from your daughter? Are you happy about that? I'm I'm happy they're protecting the unborn. Mm-hmm. Okay, they take the unborn. Okay, they want. Okay, you got a lot of kids out here. Okay, let 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 me do this for example. When I was coming up in the fifties, I lived on a sharecropper farm. In 1950, with the school, we used to have grist and maybe uh, smoked bacon. That's all I had. That's all I had 
in the morning, all day long. I was hungry the whole day. It was hard to learn when you're hungry, man. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah, but you've you've lost me now. So we were talking about abortion. But no, I'm moving on to uh, to. What are you talking about? School breakfasts? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But why are so many kids going to school hungry now? I mean, it, it's the economics, you know. But I mean, the, the, the if, but, but uh, you'll, I think you'll agree with me. The government has created programs for single moms to make sure their kids aren't hungry. Is that fair? Yeah, yeah, yeah that's fair. So why is the kids still hungry? Well, maybe, maybe they don't have enough. They got to pay rent and everything. But why would you take food from a hungry kid? When you don't have, you don't have to pay one red cent to keep the program going. Okay, I got one more thing. It's official. It's official. The American First Party is a party of Putin. There's no doubt about it anymore. Trump saying, Carvey, that Putin can do anything he want to do. Have a good day. Williams, you still there? Yeah. I got I got to ask you one question about that. And you've been very respectful. I want to be respectful of you. How many times did Putin invade Ukraine when Trump was president? He invaded no country. Because of NATO. He was scared to do it. He was scared to do it. Trump, hey, Putin's going to have keys to the White House. Have a good day. Thank you, Williams. Appreciate that. I try to be respectful. I don't know if we got any clarity on the answers. I mean, to me, if, if 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 America First is a communist sympathizing party and has, you know, uh, I don't know, gives Putin more of a free reign to do whatever it is he chooses to do in, East, in Eastern Europe, I mean, it's standard reason Putin would have been more aggressive in um, annexing land and expanding the footprint of, you ready, Mother Russia, which is what I think he's very nostalgic about. But he didn't. Why didn't he? I mean, why, why did Putin wait until Trump left office to go after some of the Donbass region, so, some of the other areas in, uh, in Ukraine? 843-661-0937. Let's go to the phone. Here is William in Sumter listening to WTXY. Good morning, William. Good morning, Ken. Um, yeah, I just had uh, two things I'd want to say. Um, one, congrats to the Gamecocks. I'm glad the men and women are playing very well. And uh, two, I often hear these people talking about the immigration bill and how some people should support it. Um, but uh, my question would be, I wonder how many of them people have actually read that bill front to back, because that's a typical uh, uh, way that the Democrats have been passing legislation, especially under Nancy Pelosi. Um, they drop a bill on somebody, and you don't really have a time to really flesh it out in details and as the phrase goes the devil's in the details um i think that fully applies when you're dealing with a democrat sponsored bill thank you thank you you know i've often wondered as we make the sausage and we get to the end and the bill's ready to be introduced and there's a beginning there's going to be a debate on the bill why wouldn't we have somewhere you know how we have a state of the union and then we have a, you know, the opposite party's response. Why wouldn't we have an articulation to the American public of what this bill says by a Democrat and a Republican? And why wouldn't nobody, if you, if you choose to be a consumer political news, you're going to pay attention. If not, you'll watch 
Seinfeld or another replay of the Super Bowl. I mean, I get that. I understand you can't force people to be as engaged in politics as we need to be because it's part of our civic duty in a self-governing uh, democracy, a republic. But why wouldn't we at the end, okay, we've made the sausage, all the here and to and where thou's are in, are in the bill. Now I want Josh as a Republican to explain to the American people what exactly this bill says. And I won't rev the Democrat to explain to the American people exactly what he interprets this bill um, to say. What, I mean, to me, that, that would be the fairest way. Nobody watches C-SPAN. I mean, it's such a small percentage. Nobody watches subcommittee and committee hearings or floor debates on immigration bills or whatnot. I mean, we get this, you know, we form our opinions based on, I guess, an inner impulse in, in conjunction with the media, CNN, you know, NBC, ABC, Fox, whoever, talk radio, whoever you find trustworthy to kind of explain things the way you need to have them explained. But why wouldn't we have kind of a grand central station that where a Republican said, okay, and in this 340 pages of legislation, here's the takeaway. And the Democrat says, hey, here's the takeaway. And even let them debate for a minute or two or, or maybe an hour. You know, and that's just not true because in, in, in subsection nine in paragraph four, uh, you refer that authority to the Department of, you know, Interior. Uh, well, I mean, we didn't intend to. You see, we'd get better sausage if we made sausage that way. Take a break. Back in a few. 843-661-0937 is our number. It's obvious that Williams is getting his marching orders from the DNC. And, I mean, the marching orders are going to be abortion, 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 abortion. Uh, but Biden's losing his mind. Abortion. I mean, they're going to take women's rights away. I mean, it's all about the female vote in this election. I mean, I don't know how many women based solely on, I'm not a female, so I've never tried to answer this question. How many of you females vote solely on the issue of abortion? I mean, the polls are pretty clear that most women, I didn't say women listening to this show. I'm not insulting our audience, but most women believe that the Republicans in some states have gotten too aggressive in not allowing a woman to terminate a pregnancy when she chooses. And they say that's going to win them uh, the election. I don't have any idea. I just don't believe that women are monoliths. I mean, they're just not. They're, they're not like men. It's almost like saying, well, I mean, you know, Christians won't vote for somebody who can't quote Scripture and doesn't know the Old and New Testament. I mean, I think Christians like to win. They don't like inflation. They probably don't like $34 trillion in federal debt. I mean, to believe that a woman votes solely on her right to choose when to end a pregnancy and a Christian votes solely on how much scripture do you know? Are you Catholic? Do you go to church and, and rosary beads? And I mean, you see where I'm headed. I mean, I, I just think that's unfair to women. I think it's unfair to Christians. I think women vote for a lot of different reasons. I think dudes vote for a lot of different reasons. I think Christians vote for a lot of different reasons. And I think non-Christians vote for a lot of different sorts of reasons. And I still believe that the reason that the majority of people are not going to give Joe Biden a second chance is inflation. I mean, I understand immigration, but we're addressing immigration or trying to in a legislative fashion, which is what policymakers do. You find a problem. I mean, they created the problem by not enforcing some of the legislation. But let's say we pass some all-inclusive border security bill and the Democrats convince the voting public, hey, we, we've taken care of that. I mean, I know it was out of control, but we've addressed that problem. Bipartisan, you know, all hands on deck. 
but there's nothing to do about the inflation. I mean, you can't put that back in the bottle. It's not like a border. You can't close the border. Uh, you, excuse me, you can't end inflation like you could potentially close the border. The dirty secret in Washington is if they really wanted the border closed, it would be closed. Uh, but if there were bipartisan support to close the border, they would close the border. But they're masters. I mean, those who have helped them get elected and fund campaigns don't really want the border closed. That's why the border is porous. That's why we don't have a secure southern border. But if, for some crazy reason, the two parties decided that this is indeed a priority and none of us are getting elected, if we don't do something about that that southern border, they can address that in meaningful fashion, not overnight, but in a fairly brief period of time. I mean, they commit assets. They can, um, you know, kind of screw the wrenches. They can support Texas, California, Arizona, Florida, some of these states dealing with a lot of, you know, inbound immigration. But there's nothing to do about inflation. I mean, there's nothing the government can do today to make a bag of groceries go from 60 to 80 and back to 60, or really from 60 to 90 and now back to 60. And I just believe at the end of the day, somebody's going to get blamed for that, and it's normally the person in the White House. Take a break. Back in a few. Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven. You got three corners, Josh. You ready to send a boxing match? In one corner, you got funding for Israel. In one corner, funding for Ukraine. In one corner, funding for border security. Um, it doesn't look to me like they're going to be able to. I mean, there's going to have to be some effort to try and separate or create standalone bills. Um, they did that Friday, Thursday, or Friday, if I'm not mistaken. The vote was sixty-seven. 32 with about 17 GOP senators joining in in an emergency security spending bill about Ukrainian funding. Fox News Radio's Ryan Schmelz is in our nation's capital. Ryan, is that the latest in the saga, or has there been another development over the weekend? It's, it's kind of hard to know. I think, I think <laughs> a lot of people who don't follow the Senate all the time are learning just how many procedures there are involved with how they vote. So, there have been a number of procedural votes. We're kind of getting into the amendment process right now. Uh, and then we could be seeing potential votes on final passes maybe Tuesday or Wednesday morning. But, Ryan, I mean, from what I'm gathering, and you're there, I'm not, so please forgive my mm. speculating from afar, oh, <laughs> but it seems to me that Ukrainian funding is dead in the House. Am I misreading it, 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 that? No, no, I, th- I think you're absolutely right where there's going to be a big struggle for uh, Ukraine funding to get across the finish line. Now, there are some things you need to keep an eye on that, that could uh, give, you know, Ukraine funding a pathway to passage, which is, you know, there's a thing called the discharge petition where essentially if enough members of Congress sign on to this, it could force the bill to go to the House floor without Speaker Johnson's blessing. So there would have to be a coalition of Republicans to join in with Democrats to sign that discharge petition and ultimately get that to the floor. But it doesn't look like there's any movement or plans to try that right now. Uh, So another thing you're hearing a lot of Republicans say should happen is that they want to see Speaker Johnson and the White House negotiate on a border deal uh, in exchange for passing foreign aid. Now, whether or not Speaker Johnson is going to be game for that and the White House is going to be game for that is a whole nother mystery. Do we know what's next? I mean, what, what are we expecting to happen this week around border security, Ukraine and Israel funding? Right. So, so we're expecting the final vote from the Senate before they go on their recess. Uh, then we'll see likely the House voting on another 
uh, standalone Israel bill with a different pay for this time compared to the last time. Uh, and then we'll see if that passes and that could maybe force some leverage on either the Senate or the White House to negotiate with the House. But those are kind of the things we expect to be voted on this week. Well explained. Ron, thank you for your time, sir. Have a great night. You too, my friend. Thank you. Kind of scratching his head as we all scratch our head. There's no way that a, a Republican can allow the Ukrainian spending bill to make its way. I mean, I understand procedural votes. I mean, there, there are a lot of that happening, and I would imagine there's some negotiating behind the scenes that we don't know uh, much at all about, but I just can't imagine for the life of me a Republican senator. I mean, unless you're retiring, and some of these guys are, and if you look at the 17 that voted with the Democrats, I mean, it's those, it's the likely suspects. I mean, it would be the establishment. I think Kennedy of Louisiana, people would find a bit unique. Like, huh? I mean, he voted with Cassidy and Romney. and But Lindsey didn't vote for it. And I didn't want to put Ryan on the spot because I, I don't know how many. There's some rumors that Lindsey's out there working on. Excuse me. Senator Graham is out there working on a um, an amendment that would limit the number of illegals to $10,000. I mean, 10,000 people. Now, what Lindsey is basically saying is, that shuts the border. I mean, we'll get to 10,000 by noon today. So that shuts the border. And, I, you know, I, I'll give Lindsay a little credit here. I mean, that, that may be a way to, here's, here's where you got to ask yourself if you're a Republican. I'll ask our listeners, would you give 80, would you give 60 more billion dollars to Ukraine to limit the number of illegals to 10,000 and put some teeth in the legislation where it had to be enforced. Because I think somebody used the analogy a couple of weeks back. Josh, I'll ask you that. Somebody used the analogy a couple of weeks back, and they're exactly right. I mean, it's Lucy and Charlie Brown. I mean, the Republicans make all these deals, and they're never enforced. I mean, the law's on the books, and nobody enforces. Another law on the book, nobody enforces it. Another law. I mean, the president is in, in charge of administrative agencies that enforce these laws. Um, and if the president says, hey, I know what the law says, but I want you to be lax in enforcement of these of these laws. It's almost like if you are a Republican, why would you pass anything about border security when you don't believe the president who's currently in office is going to enforce any of it ever? Well, I mean, you, you gotta think about this in the in this kind of the chess game. So let's say that the the Republicans, the the never Ukrainy, never Ukrainers. I mean, that's crazy to say, but I mean I'd be one of those. Until, until somebody put something in, you know, dangled a carrot in front of me that I couldn't refuse, and that may be it. I mean, at the end of the day, I know sixty billion to Ukraine is an, is it's a lot of money. We don't know how it's been accounted for, but I might would trade sixty billion for Ukraine if I thought we could get a border security bill that included closing the border after ten thousand illegal entries, and the president can't refuse. To enforce it. I don't know what kind of language that requires. I mean, he set up a blue ribbon committee. Here we go with another committee, you know, that has three Republicans and two Democrats. And they're the ones that oversee and and call the shot, so to speak. But would you, Josh, in theory, send another $60 billion to Ukraine if we could get a limit of 10000 a year, a year, not, not a month, not not in consecutive days, but a year of illegal entries. I do think that's a step in the right direction. It, but like you said, I just don't think 
they'll enforce it. You know, it's it's always this what they will do, what they're gonna do, and then they they pass this bill. And it's then, the and Charlie then no Brown of the football. Exactly. I mean, that's the best analogy. I mean, it's the Charlie Brown of the football. Lucy holds the ball. Charlie's convinced. Now's the time. I mean, she's done it so many times before, but there's no way she'll do it this time. It's different. She looked at me differently. She's got a different dress on. She's got her hair combed a little bit different. She's really going to let me kick this football this time. But she doesn't. She never does. And the Republicans have made deal after deal after deal after deal on immigration. And once a Democrat gets in the office, it's never, ever enforced. And the $60 billion is gone. I mean, it's never to be seen again. And where did it go? Well, it'll be uh, Ukraine. I know. You know. Well, I mean, we don't know where we it don't know. now in, in Ukraine. Um, I, I don't know if I'd be for that deal or not. That that would be a very complicated argument because you, you got to be in there. I'll tell you when I'd be for it, when Rand Paul is. I mean, if Rand Paul says he's good with it, I may be good with it because you got to convince him there's going to be some enforcement. I mean, Rand Paul is somewhat of a, I mean, we know he's a non-interventionist. He may be a, an isolationist. And I'm not accusing him of something that doesn't deserve to be seriously considered. I think there's room in the Republican Party for isolationists. I mean, I know a lot of you don't believe that. I do. I think there is ample room in our big tent party for an isolationist. I've got no problem with Rand Paul being an isolationist. I mean, he'll say he's not. If he's not an isolationist, he's on the extreme edge of non-intervention. And I'm gradually moving closer to where Rand Paul is as I get older and have been terribly misled. I think it's a little self-guilt that has led me so dramatically to the Rand Paul non-interventionist, non-imperialistic view of uh, self-guilt. Yeah. I mean, believing, trusting and believing in the people that I trusted in and believed for as long as I did. And there's a guilty consciousness that goes along with that. Hmm. I'm not that dumb. I mean, I'm not a smart man, but I'm not dumb enough to let them mislead me over and over and over. But I was. I mean, I was. Ah, let, let's defend Iraq. I mean, it's hard, but let's defend Iraq. Uh, let, let's defend this kid with half his head blown off. And, you know, let, let's defend being in Afghanistan and trillions and trillions and, and trillions of dollars. Let's defend Baker when he says the oil revenue will pay for the war. Let's defend the Bushies when they say they'll welcome us with open arms. They're waiting on democracy. They're waiting on liberation. I mean, you know, it'll be a, um, I mean, let, let's, yeah, I mean, there, there's some self-guilt. Absolutely there is, that, that I am of average intelligence and will snooker time and time and time again. Let's go to the phone. Dan in Orangeburg listening to WTQS. Hi, you're on the air. Yeah, I'm listening, and they're talking about uh, trading border security bill for money to Ukraine. I don't think we should trade anything for a border security bill. The border regulations we have right now are 100% effective. Donald Trump showed that for four years. Joe Biden simply isn't enforcing him. He hasn't enforced him for three years. And no matter what border regulations you give him, he's not going to enforce them. It makes no difference at all. So all we do is wait a year till he's gone, and it'll all be fixed with the laws as they exist right now. Thank you. Appreciate the call. I'm arguing the hypothetical. I mean, I'm with you. I don't buy that they'll enforce whatever laws they pass in regards to border security. 
But some of this has to be debated in the hypothetical. Hypothetically, as a matter of debate, should we consider closing the border at 10,000 illegal entries for $60 billion in Ukraine? That's, I mean, once again, do, do I buy that the Democrats will be of their word and sincerely close the border? No. But hypothetically is some of the argument that I'm, uh, I'm trying to make. 843-661-0937 is our number. I do want to, I mean, I want to stay there for a minute because this is important, but also I want to go here. Um, Trump was in South Carolina Saturday. From what I've gathered, they had a massive crowd. I mean, a huge crowd. Inside and out. Yeah, it's like standing room only, like a Beatles and, and Stones concert. <laughs> I mean, like the Beatles, Stones, and Elvis came to town all at the same time. They had just a just a, a massive flow of humanity uh, in that place. I've got a little data that I'll share with you, and I spent about an hour yesterday extrapolating the data, doing some um, kind of determinations, mathematical determinations on my end, it looks to me, and I don't have a number in front of me, but I got a series of data points that I think lead me to conclude that right now in South Carolina, Trump is up about 70-30 with Republican primary voters. It's probably 68-32 with base primary voters. I went back and looked at some of the historical averages and some of the other states and talked to Kahaley a little bit. The models that a lot of these pollsters are using when they're predicting South Carolina is heavily influenced by how many independents and Democrats will vote in the February 24th Republican primary. Nobody knows the answer to that. It's hard to poll that. But they're using a lot of historical data, some of the trends. They're actually accounting for social media, believe it or not. And they're landing at somewhere around 20%. That's higher than normal. I mean, that, that's a, it, it's normally 12, 13%. But, but if you start using kind of a sliding scale, if Trump's 68, 32 with base voters, with traditional Republican primary voters, and you kind of slide down that scale until you get to somewhere around 18, 19, 20%, Trump's up 16. Remember when I said I thought Nikki would do a little better? than some of the pollsters have led mm-hmm. us to believe she's going to do. And you asked why, and I said, just something in my gut. I mean, I, I don't know. Well, now I feel like I have some analytics. I feel like I have a little data. I mean, 65-35, 60-40, that's kind of where we've been. I think it could be a little, I said, a little bit. I mean, I didn't say it's going to be a dogfight. Trump's not buying any media in South Carolina. I mean, if they had internal numbers that led Trump to believe he's in a dogfight, they would be spending money in South Carolina. He's going to make multiple appearances between now and February 24, but he has no media buys in South Carolina. There is no way they would take that risk. I mean, this campaign is too well run this time, not last time, this time to take a chance and be caught flat-footed in a state that could end the GOP primary. But but when I started looking at the analytics, once again, gut instinct, just my just something tells me, and then I started sliding scale. And you've got this, this, this hard number of Republican primary. I always said it's 70-30. I'm convinced now it's about 67-33, 68-32-ish. And then you start sliding that number of independents and Democrats into the mix. Obviously, the more of those. I mean, they can get them all. Trump gets some independents. He probably didn't get many Democrats, but he gets 
some independents. It's somewhere around Trump plus 16, Trump plus 17. Um, that puts Nick at about, what, 40, 41, maybe 42. I don't see Nikki getting to 43. I mean, that's what she got in New Hampshire. And she said out of her own mouth, I've got to do better in South Carolina than I did in New Hampshire. And I just don't see Nikki getting to 43 unless an unexpectedly high number of independents and Democrats vote on a Saturday in February in a Republican primary. I do think it'll be higher than average. I mean, I do believe that. I think it'll be higher than average, and I think it'll be high enough to get Nikki to 40 or maybe, maybe a touch above. Take a break. Back in a few. 843-661-0937. Someone's on the phone. Let's go there. Rujan in Darlington. Good morning, Rujan. Good morning, gentlemen. I hope you all are having a great day. Uh, I, I, I couldn't I couldn't handle the Super Bowl, so I just watched the news, watched the recap. But, you know, that, that's pretty much it. But, but hey, guys, um, I, I'm, of the, I'm of the notion that uh, what my position is, uh, unless you shut down the border, nobody gets no money. Period. And if that's being an isolationist, then I'm an isolationist. I, I, I think that, that uh, we've been told the bill of goods by the White House and, and, and by the Congress. And personally, I'm, I'm pretty tired of it. I've, I've seen the impact, you know, in traveling to Boston, traveling to San Diego, traveling to New York, uh, and even down to Orlando. I've seen the effects of, of illegal immigration. And it is it is a it's a blight on our country, man. It's a blight on these cities, and, and unless we stop it, uh, they're going to get into our interior. We won't know where they are. They're costing us uh, an enormous amount of money, and it's just ridiculous. When are we going to wake up to stop this mess? You know, I, I'm not going to. I wouldn't tie a bit of money to Ukraine or anybody else to secure our own border. That's nonsense. It's crazy. So yes, I, if, if that's an isolationist, then I'll be an isolationist. Thank you, Rujan. Appreciate that. 843-661-0937. I'll tell you the one data point, because Rev made an interesting observation. I said last week that a majority of my instinct led me to believe that Nikki may do a little better, but it was mainly about th- th- this this a sympathetic South Carolinian. You know, here here's a lady, former governor of South Carolina, running against this, you know, this monster of a political figure, and I can't let her be embarrassed in her home state. I mean, that's my state. I don't want her campaign to die in in her home state. I'm not that person, but I think there are some out there like that. But Rev said, is your articulation from the last segment an acknowledgement that the data does may suggest or may suggest that there will be more independents and more Democrats crossing over voting in the GOP primary? Yes. I mean, it validates the theory that I was not sure I believed in last week. I mean, you got to be smart enough to change your mind and understand things, you know, as you gain more information, you're more equipped to form judgments. And I think this information I saw, and once again, this is kind of, um, I mean, this is homebrew. <laughs> this sitting, this sitting the, uh, the polling factories of America. I mean, this is me taking some information that was shared with me, uh, by someone close to the GOP. And they were talking about where we are today with GOP. They can tell you where we are or where Nikki and, and Trump are with GOP voters. I mean, they know that. Uh, they can get that within the margin of error. I mean, it's 68-32. And I've said over and 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 over 
Josh, that the line of demarcation, America First and establishment, is about two to one. I mean, that, that kind of reinforced that belief I have. I mean, Trump gets about all the America First voters. Nikki gets about all the establishment Republican voters. I mean, it's 68-32. I mean, that's a little north of two-thirds, and, and that's pretty close. It's probably 70-30, somewhere thereabout. The 30 can't win without the 70, and the 70 can't win without the 30, and that's a dilemma or a conundrum we find ourselves in. And I think we all know that that's the conundrum. You know, it, it's kind of interesting, and I watched Meet the Press in this week with George Stephanopoulos. He's never there anymore. I guess he's on assignment with the Clinton Global Initiative. But Jonathan Carl was hosting some of the shows. It's just so interesting how tone deaf they are or how disrespectful they are of the most powerful political movement in America today. I mean, if you take Meek the Press, we're talking about the Super Bowl had maybe 100 million Americans, 200 million people around the world. I bet it's more than 200 million. I mean, I'll bet it's, I don't know what the number is, but you've got Meek the Press with about what, one and a half million uh, two million. Let's give them two million viewers per week. It's a weekly Sunday morning show. Politico's got to set their watch. You know, I do it as part of my job here. But you got two million viewers. Um, you, you struggle with ratings. You don't struggle with advertisers because you regurgitate the establishment narrative. So brought to you by Boeing, brought to you by Pfizer is always, you know, a way to be, be um, gainfully, uh, not gain, uh, profitable would be a better word. But why do you have Chris Christie on? Who gives a rat's rear end what Chris Christie has to say? Nobody. I mean, the guy couldn't garner a following in the Republican primary. He has no following. He's a, he, he left uh, New Jersey highly unpopular, but he hates Trump. I mean, he hates Trump. Brian Kemp is a guest, and Brian Kemp is asked leading question after leading question after leading question. Kemp's not as good a politician as I thought he was. Because Kemp said on uh, this week with George Stephanopoulos that at a meeting he went at the World Economic Forum. And I'm like, no, Republicans, I may go to 10 consecutive World Economic Forums in Davos, and I may fly on someone's private jet. You'll never know. (laughs) You better deny it. (laughs) You will never, ever know that I spent time at the World Economic Forum. But he's kind of embraced that you want to – I think Kemp likes the fact that we're not sure where he lands or where he stands with this America first um, phenomenon. But I just don't understand what there is to gain by continuing to insult the most powerful political force in America today. I mean, I looked at Arizona. I'll give you an example. So, so immigration, the first time I saw immigration poll higher than inflation was in Iowa. And I remember thinking to myself, wow, if immigration is polling higher in Iowa, I know it's polling higher in Arizona. I know it's polling higher in Texas. I mean, if it's polling higher in, in Iowa, I mean, Iowa is the least place affected by immigration or illegal immigration, but it's the visual. It's the optic. It's the, it's the primary voter watching the news, going on Twitter, and seeing this, this mass invasion of our southern border. So I went back and looked at some of the trending in Arizona. I mean, Arizona's a swing state. There's no doubt about it. When the immigration issue became kind of front and center, Trump was down two. He's up four and a half today. I mean, the RCP average, Trump 47 in Arizona, Biden at 42.5. So there's been about a six and a half point swing 
and it's all about immigration. And I would argue that the more aggressive Texas and Abbott do in securing their border, the better Trump does in, in Arizona. Because if you can't break into our country in Texas, the next door down is Arizona. So let's say that, that um, uh, Abbott is, you know, supported by some of the federal government legislation, some of the federal government, uh, some of the courts make a decision that says, hey, I mean, the federal government has an obligation to force border policy. And when they don't, we're going to decide that the states can as aggressively as they decide uh, enforce border policy. So let's say Abbott puts crocodiles into, in the Rio Grande and he has drones with bombs and he has razor wire and men with guns. I'm not saying that, but let's assume that the government says Abbott can do what he chooses to do. He can deploy his state's national guard. And if governor McMaster wants to send aid and assistance and some of the other red state governors, they can. And all of a sudden the cartels decide, wow, it's hard to get in Texas right now. Where's the next state over? It's Arizona. And all of a sudden the Arizona problem, what was Texas's problem becomes a larger, 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 larger problem for Arizona. And if immigration is indeed as important as inflation, Trump wins Arizona going away. I mean, how does he not? When immigration was not a major issue, Trump was down two in Arizona. There's been a six and a half point swing in a swing state. I mean, that's a huge momentum changer in the national election. And I mean, Arizona is going to be critical. And I, I just think these border states, I mean, we know what Texas is. It's going to be red. Florida's going to be red. Um, California is going to be blue. Arizona is the only, you, you want to get very manipulative and political. I would steer every ounce of illegal immigration I could. I mean, if I were Trump, I'd be on the phone with Abbott. And I'd say, put the razor wire up, double, double stack it. I'll do what I got to do when I get elected to make it good. You know what I mean? Whatever you're spending, I'll get it back to you some way, somehow. But let's force the cartels to send these criminal aliens into Arizona because if that happens, I win Arizona. If I win Arizona, guess what, old boy? I'm POTUS again. Let's go to the phone. Joe and Florence. Hey, Joe, you're on. Good morning, guys. Uh, listening to the discussion about immigration, I'm I'm reminded of that that classic film Apollo 13, when uh, they're having a lot of trouble uh, and they're not sure whether they're going to get back to Earth, and everyone is debating back and forth what we should do, what we could do, what we should do, and one of the engineers comes up and says, "Hey guys, it's like we got to shut everything down down now. They don't have enough power to get home." And in my opinion, it's, abs it's absolutely too late to do anything about the border. The damage has been done. The evil people are already here, and they're just kind of percolating. I think the emphasis now has to be on, okay, how do we go, back, how do we go around and vet all the people who are already in the country and then have some sort of revised qualification program, or as Trump has says, uh, go on a big deportation problem, but really the 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 problem is already too late. I mean, the the damage has been done, and we've got to focus not on stopping the border, but undoing the people that have already uh, come through illegally. Thanks, guys. Thank you, Joe. Appreciate it. Interesting point, but a very valid point. Eight four three six six one 
888-900-0937 is our number. Let's take a break. We'll be back in just a few moments. 843-661-0937 is our number. All right, so you're talking about the swing states. You talked about that strategy, Texas versus uh, Arizona, right? Well, I mean, does that make sense? Oh, yeah. In fact, I'd put a sign on the other side of the wall that says this way. Texas is closed, yeah. head Pointed to the west. west Arizona. Yeah, but um, we know, I mean, the, the, the swing states are well known. Uh, how do you feel about, you know, where, where's the best chance to, to flip the swing state and where's the least best chance to? Are you counting Georgia? Is Georgia one of your swing states? Yeah, yeah, I think you have to count it. Because, okay, see, it's not one of mine. I mean, I, I'm right. just convinced. I'm just, that the, just based on 2020. Okay, um, Georgia would be the most likely to go back to Republican. Okay. Um, Arizona would be second most likely to go back Republican or go Republican. Nevada would be third. Michigan would be fourth. Wisconsin would be sixth. And Pennsylvania would be last. I have no trust or faith at all in a Republican winning Pennsylvania when they're planning. I mean, it, Trump caught him off guard. He caught him flat-footed in 16. Remember? I mean, you know, the oh, polls yeah. said Trump had no chance to win, and I think, I think some of the precinct hustlers in Pennsylvania believe that, but they've been reinforced. I mean, they're, they're hard at work. I have, if it comes down to Trump having to win Pennsylvania to be president, I am very pessimistic that he wins. But I think he wins Georgia. I think he wins Arizona. I think he wins Nevada, and I think he wins Michigan. I'm not very confident in Wisconsin, and I'm certainly not confident at all in Pennsylvania. Let's look at the polling real quick. Um, at Georgia, Trump plus eight, uh, plus seven, seven and a half. Wisconsin, dead heat. Arizona, Trump plus nearly five. Nevada, Trump plus seven. Michigan, Trump plus five. I mean, so Georgia, Arizona, Nevada, and Michigan – are all outside the margin of error. Pennsylvania, Trump is down three-tenths of 1%, so it's within the margin of error. Um, what gets better about Biden? I mean, what, what is Biden's sales pitch? I'm not Trump? Well, I mean, the, the people know that. I mean, the people in Georgia know he's not Trump, and Georgia is Trump plus seven. The people in Arizona know he's not Trump, plus four and a half. Nevada, plus seven. The interesting thing in Arizona and Nevada, I mean, Georgia's not going to be influenced by Hispanic votes. Wisconsin's not going to be influenced by Hispanic votes. Pennsylvania and Michigan are not going to be heavily influenced by Hispanic votes. But Hispanics are going to have a say in who wins the presidential primary, excuse me, the presidential, um, the general election in Arizona and Nevada. And we know, I mean, there's data point after data point after data point that shows the Hispanics are breaking more Republican. Here's the interesting part of the Trump phenomenon. You ready? And I've had other people tell me this. I mean, I'll leave unnamed, but it's unbelievable in some of these state GOP offices how many African-American men are calling wanting to be a part of voting for Donald Trump. I didn't say African-Americans because there's women that want no part of this. For whatever reason, there's a distinguishment between African-American men and African-American women. I mean, we break voters down into all these subsets, and I get it. I mean, that's who you target market. I mean, that's who you send your, your mailers and your text messages, and you knock on a door, and you find out there's an African-American female there. Well, I mean, the African-American female is less likely to vote for Trump than anybody, period. The African-American male's turning. And I'm told in Georgia, 
in Arizona, in Wisconsin, in Michigan, and Pennsylvania, they are getting an unusual number of African-American males calling in to the GOP wanting to support not the Republican Party, but Donald Trump. That goes back to my, and, and, and guys, I, I'm telling you, I mean, this will be one day. I mean, people will say that crazy guy on the radio in Florence kept saying the Trump voter's not a Republican voter. I mean, they're there and they're there for the taking. And if you can convince them that their worldview and yours are pretty one and the same, and you'll have these incidental disagreements on a few things here and there and yonder, but ultimately, you know, it's a binary choice. It's a duopoly that runs the country. You, you got a Democrat doing this and you got a Republican doing that. Trump is the reason they're coming to the dance, but they'll leave the dance. If you don't get them another partner, let's go to the phone. Mike in Darlington. Hello, Mike. Okay. All right. Somebody else? Nope. Nope. Is there another call? Uh, no, that one dropped. Okay. 843-661-0937 is our number. Love to hear what you have to say. See, I don't think Virginia's in play. One of the concerning, and, and maybe they're kind of masquerading this as, I mean, you, you, you put these trial balloons up and you just kind of see where they go. But but I, I wonder if the Trump team is trying to convince the Democrats that they're going to try to play in Virginia. Because if you convince the Democrats you're going to try and play in Virginia, then the Democrats have to go to work. And they deploy assets and resources I just don't think there's any chance whatsoever that Republicans win Virginia. I don't think Virginia is purple. I mean, I, I, you want me to back up. Nikki Haley would have a chance in Virginia, but she would have less of a chance in Michigan, less of a chance in Nevada, less of a chance in Arizona. Nikki would play well with the the bureaucrats, you know, in the in, in mm-hmm. around the Beltway. I mean, you got some in Maryland, some in Virginia, a good bit in in Virginia, some of these collar counties of our nation's capital. But I just, I wonder at times, because I've heard the Trump campaign say they're going to, you know, they're going to put Virginia in play. I heard him say they're going to New York. Well, I mean, that's absurd. That's absurd. You're going to do a rally in well, Brooklyn. That, you know, that, that's Trump saying things <laughs> that, that nobody pays any attention to, nor should you. Well, I mean, they said last time we're, we're going to win California. Okay. Just don't spend any money there. Don't spend any money in California. If you make a donation to the Trump campaign, right on the bottom of your check, not to be spent in New York or California because that's wasted resources that need to be spent in Georgia, Wisconsin, Arizona, Nevada, Michigan, and not Pennsylvania. <laughs> I hate to say give up on Pennsylvania, but but I just have no faith at all in the Republicans beating the Democrats in Pennsylvania when the Democrats aren't asleep at the switch, when they really believe that this is truly a battleground state. Let's go to the phone. We'll try Mike again. Mike, you there? Okay. I, uh, can you hear me this time? Yep. Okay. Yeah, fine. Okay. I, t- uh, I, I think you did right about Georgia because there, there's uh, now there's a bunch of Hispanics down there. Have you been to South Georgia recently? But uh, And uh, I think a fair number of them want to vote for Trump. But uh, I, I, it's an insult the way they're doing this immigration thing to people. My niece, she worked her butt off for, and took her years to get her citizenship citizenship she got her doctorate before she got her citizenship and uh she had to work for it and uh, it absolutely kicks her off that it's so easy for uh 
for uh, these people. They can just walk across the border and la-di-da, and they hand them all these things. When she had to work so hard to become a citizen of this country. And uh, that's uh, that, that's just a fact. But uh, you're not old enough to remember this, but back in the 50s, the uh, population had there'd been a lot of people coming across the border illegally and uh, built up in the country. And uh, they decided to get them across, and they they ran about two million back across the border right quick. It didn't take them that long to do it either. Now that it, uh, if you think they they cannot get them back across the border, I think they can if they want to. But the thing is, you've got these uh, rogue uh, clerical people that will try and sabotage everything that they can. But uh, thank you, Ken, for uh, educating us on this uh, on these issues. But I think you did right about Virginia. You don't know what which way that thing is going to go. Thank you, Mike. I, well, I, mean, I, I think I do know which way Virginia's going. I think it's it's heavily influenced by bureaucrats who are lifers with the federal government, and they don't want disruption. I mean, they they don't want anybody messing up the deal they got going, so to speak. They like the deal they have going, and they don't want anybody messing up that deal they have going it's not for love of country it's for love of self take a break uh back in a few eight four three six six one oh nine three seven someone's on the phone let's go there jay and nichols hey jay you're on hey good morning guys uh something i don't think you're thinking about nobody's talking about it either with uh joe biden's rate of decline a vote for biden will be a vote for kamala harris for 47 and uh if there's anybody that's like less than Joe Biden, it's Kamala Harris. Thank you, sir. Appreciate that. That is the situation the Dems find themselves in. Um, is there is there a Democrat we're worried about more than any other? I mean, I'd rather run against Biden than anybody right now. I mean, we've got a report, guys, that says, I mean, it's not a radio show host. It's not Fox News Digital. We have a an official special counsel report that says this guy willingly and knowingly or willfully and knowingly broke the law, but he's so mentally unstable, we don't think he would be competent to stand trial. I mean, that's, you, you can be, you can believe that Trump deserves to be, you know, um, convicted of a crime, mishandling classified information and Biden doesn't, but you're a political hack. You're not intellectually honest with yourself. Forget me. You don't owe me anything. But don't you owe yourself some degree of, uh, you know, I don't know, just self-honesty? I mean, if you believe that Trump broke the law by mishandling classified information, and I think he did. I mean, I think Trump broke the law by mishandling classified information. Trump has been charged with mishandling classified information. He will stand trial for mishandling classified information the other guy is told we're told by a special counsel who investigated that yeah he did it i mean he knowingly and willfully mishandled classified information but he's not competent to stand trial i mean you're a political hack if you try to square those up um, once again you don't owe me anything but i'd like to see us try and be somewhat intellectually honest with ourselves. It's a cult. It is a cult. I mean, there is a cult amongst us, the never Trumpers. I mean, the Trumpsters aren't cultish. 
I mean, I would imagine that they're, they're extremely loyal. They're dedicated to the cause of America first. They get a little um, out over their skis and some of their enthusiastic support for, for Donald Trump. It's a bit irrational at times. It's a little bit intimidating at times. But nothing about it resembles a cult as far as I'm concerned. I mean, if you believe that Biden shouldn't stand trial, but Trump did, that's the characteristics of someone who's a member of a cult. Take a break. Back in a few. 843-661-0937 is our number. It takes Mondays to make Fridays our number three. I'm waking up as you are. Um, normally get to bed early, but didn't last night because of the massive sporting event known as UConn Lady Gamecock Basketball. <laughs> oh. <laughs> it kept you up late, didn't Well, I mean, the, the UConn Gamecock Women Basketball game was the opening act for the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. The Super Bowl is the opening act for the eventual Daytona 500, which we know is the biggest sporting event in all of the world. So, um, yeah, uh, kind of a big deal with the Super Bowl. Much bigger deal coming next Sunday in Daytona when NASCAR gets back in the uh, in the swing. Spoken like a true Southern uh, a, a rural guy from the um, from South Carolina. Fox News Radio's Jared Halpern is in our nation's capital. Jared, good morning. How are you? Boogity, boogity, boogity. Yeah, there you go. Now, spoken <laughs> All right. Uh, uh, you better not say that loud in in DC, or they'll throw you out of that out of that bubble, well, my you know, friend. I, uh, my first uh, before I was in DC, my uh, my first radio job was in uh, Jacksonville, Florida. So. Okay. You can uh, relate. I'm sure you can like relate. Avoid Daytona as much as possible. But <laughs> couldn't get around uh, but uh, good deal i know the party i know the party seems good (laughs) yeah it is good no no question about it but it's uh jared i tell people a trump rally we had one in south carolina saturday a trump rally is like nascar meets sec tailgating uh it's the craziest thing you'll ever see in your in your life so let i want to get your take on this and you're a journalist i'm not but if someone tells me in a formal special counsel report that I should be charged with a crime, but I'm not going to be because they're not sure I'm mentally stable enough. The last thing I'm going to do is go out and yell, I'm mentally stable. I'm mentally stable. I'm not senile. I'm not, I'm going to take the pass and move along. What are we to make of this, Jared? Listen, I think a couple of things. One, I, you, you've heard over the weekend from a lot of prosecutors, federal prosecutors, who believe that that special counsel's report was inappropriate, that that's not the way – uh, that, you know, you if you choose not to charge somebody, uh, if you say that this doesn't rise to the level of prosecution, generally you don't kind of say, but, you know, if we took it to a jury because you've made the decision not to. So there has been a lot of criticism of Robert Hur. Now, as it relates to what President Biden responded to Thursday night, I think it is it speaks to, listen, it, 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 it is clear that President Biden was pretty angry I don't think at the characterization of him having a bad memory, but at the characterization that he somehow didn't know the date of his son's death. Um, I think he took that very, very personally. Um, you've heard him kind of lean into that pretty hard on Thursday night. You know, I thought, who the hell are they to ask that question? And, um, you know, showing the rosary beads that he has worn. Um, so, listen, I think that there are sometimes where, you know, maybe against, the judgment of, of staff and others, presidents come out and say, I'm, I'm going to say something, right? And it, that seemed to be what happened on Thursday night. It was put together very quickly. Uh, I was still in D.C., the press, so I think we got 25 minutes notice, which is not a lot of time. Um, 
I was actually I had left the White House and drove back. Um, and so uh, it, it seemed to me like one of those events where the president was pretty angry. Uh, again, I, I think less at, at kind of the characterization of his memory and more maybe at the characterization of like invoking his family. Jared, when the special counsel does the investigation, are these interviews taped? I mean, would there be a recording if Biden says? I don't think um, that would depend on what arrangement they made with uh, the president's attorneys. I don't believe this one was taped. There would be there would be a transcript. In other words, you know, it's a it's a legal thing. So it, it would be, you know, th- there would be um, a transcript of it. I don't believe it was on camera, but. One of the things now that has been asked of the White House, and we'll see if they do it, is, you know, release the transcript of the interview. We want to see how the questions were asked, how they were answered. That would maybe provide a little bit of detail into, you know, how the president responded to some of these questions and maybe some of the context that the questions were asked in. So I don't I I do not know if there was a recording. Again, those are generally arrangements that are made with the president's attorney, White House counsel. There's some privilege aspects of it. But there certainly would be a full transcript of that interview. That would have to be done. And uh, there has been now questions and, and, uh, you know, kind of pushing the White House to release some of that um, to to offer, I think, some of the context that's pretty important here as it relates to, you know, how these questions were asked and how the president answered them. But but political motivation is different from integrity. I mean, I have no idea what what her political motivation was. But the integrity of the investigation, I mean, if he made the accusation that Biden couldn't remember when his son died and there is a transcript somewhere, could Congress say, let's get to the bottom of this? Somebody's not telling the truth. There's a transcript somewhere. Or is that fully within the bounds of the special counsel and the White House? Congress has some oversight here. Uh, They would have to subpoena that. And so the Justice Department, I guess it's the property and product of the Justice Department. So ultimately, the Justice Department would have to decide, I guess, how, how they would comply with that. But even uh, a lot of members of, of the press and even allies of the president have been asking for the trans You know, even even those who really want to defend the president, right, his advocates and allies who I've heard from over the weekend have said they think it would be good to see the transcript because they want to see the context. They want to see how these questions were asked and how they were answered. Very interesting. Thank you, Jared. Appreciate the time. Sure thing. And I mean that that guys, that's where we are. And 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 that's the concern I have. I mean, and I want to go back to something I started down uh, the road with earlier this morning. I don't understand. I mean, I understand trying to win elections. I get it. I mean, it looks like Trump's the nominee of the GOP. Biden's going to be more than likely the nominee of the uh, of the DNC. I mean, I understand anything can happen. You got you got trials and convictions, and you got transcripts and and special counsel. You got a you know a um. A man demonstrating the characteristics of someone not well. And then you've got Trump at times demonstrating the characteristics of a man you know, not well. I mean, I don't think anybody would equate Trump's mental stability with, with Biden. I mean, he's, uh, he, he would be very unpredictable. I mean, he'd be very rambling at times. I mean, I understand that, but I don't, I've never seen Trump. I mean, I've seen him misspeak a lot, but I've never seen him appear to be incoherent. I mean, I've seen him get a name wrong and a city wrong and, a, you know, and, and misspeak in a, in a political terminology, but I've never heard him appear to be just completely lost about where he is and what he's talking about. But I just don't understand the strategy of the left or the never-Trumper, for that matter, that believes the way to win is to continually, in the most condescending way imaginable, insult America firsters. 
I, I, for the life of me, I don't understand that. And if I ran Never Trump Inc., I mean, I'd say stop insulting. I mean, talk about the man's bombast. Talk about his unpredictability. Talk about his irreverence. Talk about his narcissism. Stop insulting 75 million Americans. That gets you nowhere. But it's almost like, Rev, they can't help themselves. They have such an opinion of half the country that it's in their DNA. It's in their makeup. They don't like these people. It's obvious they don't care for these hayseeds, hillbillies, renegades, outlaws, and cow. They just don't. And, and it's so obvious to me, and I think it empowers America first. I think the more insulting the establishment is, the more likely it is that America first wins. And I just don't understand who's behind that strategy, or is it just some blind spot? I mean, we all have these blind spots, and I would imagine if I wake up every morning in the land of the establishment, Washington, D.C., or San Francisco, or New York, or uh, Chicago, one of these other major metropolitan areas, and I don't have to associate with the deplorables, who cares if I insult deplorables one after the other, after the other, after the other? It's so interesting to me. Um, I'll take the Tucker Carlson interview as an example. I mean, Tucker is a is a tool. He's a stooge. He's a pawn of the game. But but you didn't give any serious consideration to the interview. It's almost like that's the that's the go to place to insult to automatically anything relating to Trump, anything that may give Trump a little more of an edge. You insult those that kind of fly that flag. You insult those who fan that flame. And for the life of me, I don't understand that. I mean, I don't like the establishment. I don't want the establishment to ever be in charge of the GOP again for as long as I live. And I want to work hard to make sure they don't. But I don't know that the way to dispense of the establishment is to insult them, is to show their failure, is to let Americans see how miserable a failure they've been at governing the country for the past, what, post-Reagan, pre-Trump? I'm going to give me an example of good government, post-Reagan, pre-Trump. I mean, the conservative Inc. and the establishment was a miserable failure in trying to lead a nation and, and, a, and, a, and a nation of 330 million people to a better place. I mean, it's hard to argue that the GOP had these, these, um, these ideas and concepts and policies that empowered the American worker, empowered the American family, made life better uh, for the average American. I mean, there's nothing there. So, so my, my, my strategy has never been to insult the establishment but rather point out their failures. And I, and I guess the establishment is offended when people like me point out their failures and say, guys, why wouldn't you give America first a chance? I mean, here's what you've got for the last 30 years. Why wouldn't you give someone else a chance? But their, their modus operandi is to just, just reflect, I mean, just in the most reflexive way, just insult. The Trumpsters are dumb. I mean, they're, they're not bright. They're... You know, they're hayseeds, they're backwoods, they, they watch NASCAR. I don't, I don't understand that. I mean, not for the life of me. I think every time you insult, it empowers. You motivate people to be a, uh, more of a part of a political movement. And I think there's a way for the establishment to say, look, we get it. I mean, we've sucked for 30 years. And, and along came this crazy man. And you guys kind of attached to this crazy man. We want to we try to work together. There's been no attempt to do that. There's been no, it, it's almost like the 70% have 
have to apologize to the 30% for peeing in their cornflakes. I mean, that's kind of what the establishment are arguing. The Trump nuts, the Trump movement, the craziness, the crazies, you know, the political Neanderthals that come along with, with this Trump. I mean, how does 30% insult 70% and believe there's a better path forward? It's for the life of me. I mean, my argument is you've never been a Republican anyway. I mean, you've always been uh, a neocon. I mean, neoconservatism is not conservatism in the truest sense. I mean, American expansionism and American imperialism, I mean, that's not conservative in nature. I mean, it's just not. I mean, it, in, intervention leads to globalism. Globalism diminished sovereignty. I mean, when, you, when you've got X number of assets or resources to govern a nation and you spend a plethora or an abundance of those in places like Ukraine, or, or, or uh, Israel, or, you know, um, Taiwan, you're spending less domestically. I mean, that's just, I mean, by necessity, there is no other way. You can't, well, I mean, I, I would say money's finite, but it may be to infinity and beyond <laughs> in the good old uh, Washington, D.C. I mean, <laughs> to borrow a phrase from Buzz Lightyear. Yeah, it, it may be to infinity and beyond we go with our currency. Let me give you a crazy stat, scary stat. We went from 15 to $22 trillion uh, with quantitative easing. Um, and some of the, you know, the Fed printed money, that's quantitative easing. Added liquidity to the economy went from 15 to $22 trillion from, uh, I don't know, uh, July 2020. I think the COVID was, what, February of 2020 is when it really got on our radar, and we began to do things to address how societies to function post the pandemic, but we're back now. We went from 15 to 22 trillion. We're back now somewhere around 20 trillion ish. I mean, quantitative tightening. Remember we talked a lot about 80, $90 billion a month coming off the feds balance sheet. So we're in kind of a quantitative tightening. Jamie diamond famously said a couple of weeks ago, and he said, it's so quick as if he didn't want anybody to hear it. I don't, I, nobody's real sure how this thing works. <laughs> I mean, the way he said it, it was so funny to watch Diamond. And, you know, Diamond doesn't just blow past anything. Diamond explains things. But Diamond said, you know, we started this quantitative tightening. And I'm not sure anybody knows what, what happened there. But anyway, uh, he, he's like, I got to mention it, got to say it, because I, I don't want to be the guy that never went on the record about quantitative tightening. So we went from 22 back down to about 19.8, 19.9 trillion. But, but I'm going to give you a stat, Josh, and we'll take a break. This is crazy. We started in 08. I mean, when the world blew up in 08, we kind of normalized quantitative easing. Two-thirds of the liquidity in the economy today didn't exist in 2008. Still on that for a second. Two of every $3 in circulation in the American economy today did not even exist prior to 2008. So in 16, 15 years, we're early in 24, in 15 years, in 15 years, we've added two of every $3 that exist. Forget the velocity of money and monetary policy. That's just a crazy statistic. And how we believe, how we believe that inflation is not going to be rampant. I mean, it, it, it's bizarre to me. I mean, it's just like, wow. When I read that, I'm like, that can't be. So I went back and looked at, you know, the M2 money supply in 2006 and seven today. And sure enough, two of every $3 in existence today, did not exist 15 years ago. Wow. Take a break. Back in a few.
Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven takes Mondays to make Fridays. Friday, Monday after the Super Bowl. Stayed up about an hour and a half later than normal, and I'm paying the price this morning. Uh, You're not this, the only one. This sixteen ounce Celsius, uh, twelve ounce, uh, twelve ounce. Now sixteen. Big mama jamma, <laughs> Josh. Orange sickle. Yeah, I mean, it, but, but be, bleeding garnet. Not not real fond mm-hmm. of orange sickle flavor but it's good nonetheless let's go to there the ball. you go it's breeze good morning hey guys you know y'all all your boys know y'all all know my oldest boy during the super bowl he was at that Atlanta airport you know kid i told y'all that he was going up to help his uh, grandmother with his grandfather he said for a month to see he spent the super bowl walking up the pilots asking them for their trading cards they have the airplanes and all of it and then the rest of the time, he was looking at their HVAC and their refrigeration stuff. I wish I was more like him instead of spending the evening watching that full crap propaganda. The game was fine. But I tell you, I just went away from it and say, man, we are so screwed. But anyway, uh, I'm beginning to think Nicky Haley, kid, is, is, is a little bit evil. Well, maybe, maybe not even a little bit. The people that have bought the paid for it, she sold her soul to, are not good people. You know, and I tell you another thing too. I think what they're going to do. See, I, I think they knew all along that they're fine. They weren't going to let Biden run for president. Now I may be wrong, but I think they knew that a year or so back. But I think they also knew that they would have uh, talked Biden into resigning or whatever, and saying um, that he had health issues and all. Then they would have had to bring up somebody else, and that would have given us time to kind of bet them and or get tired of them. So if they brought Michelle Obama, for instance, up a year ago, by now I think the enthusiasm could possibly have waned. I think what they're going to want to do is, at the Democrat convention, they will do a nomination. They'll nominate somebody, and hopefully they'll get the, their party so excited and also, they probably already got the mechanism set in place to try to steal the election. I think they, but I just don't see, and I, I really think if well, Kamala had been such a screw-up, I don't think they intended Biden to say it even the first year of his first term, to be honest with you. I mean, you know, I really don't, but that's just me. And uh, like I said, I wish I was at an airport asking for trade cards <laughs> Thank you, Bree. Appreciate it, my man. Um, Need some new wiper blades. Yeah, or either it needs to be raining. Yeah, you know, is is it not raining and Breeze has the wipers on, or he needs new new blades? Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven. Well, just think about where. See, I don't believe the Democrats are that worried about candidate quality or not. I mean, the best candidate they've had in modern time is either Clinton or Obama. I mean, that those were really good political candidates. And Biden got, what, 15 million more votes than, than Obama? I mean, I know there's population growth. I get that. But there's not that much from 12 when Biden or when Obama ran to 20. That's eight years. Explain Biden getting 16 or 17 million more votes than, I mean, it's not about candidates. It's about infrastructure. It's about building a machine. Um, unsupervised mail-in ballots or is the Democrats' friend. I didn't say the election was stolen. I don't have any idea what happened. I don't profess to have any idea what happened, but I know a very, very mediocre candidate 
got 81 million votes. That leads me to believe that the Democrats think they could literally run Mickey Mouse and beat the Republican because they built this systematic way of, of getting votes counted that nobody saw cast. I'm not accusing anybody of anything. But, but the truth is that Donald Trump won the 2020 presidential election by about 11 points if we count only ballots that had a witness. I mean, Rev went somewhere and voted. Someone saw Rev. There's a kind of a paper trail. There's a paper trail to all of it. But in the unsupervised mail-in ballots, Trump lost by about 12 points. I mean, to me, that is the statistical anomalies of all statistical. statistical. We're to believe that everybody who went to the poll and voted decided to vote for one candidate, and everybody who didn't go to the poll and vote and were unsupervised in the counting of that, casting and counting of that ballot, voted for somebody else. I mean, I've always felt that's the, the greatest fear the Democrats have. They didn't beat Trump in 16. They thought they should. They're not sure how legitimate their own win. They'll never say this. I mean, of course, they'd be crazy. I mean, they're not going to self-incriminate. Well, who knows? Biden self-incriminated himself. I mean, imagine if you're charged with a, um, if there's a potential for you to be charged with a crime, Josh, and the prosecutor says to the judge, Judge, I believe Josh broke the law. I believe he committed a crime, but I don't think Josh could be convicted because I don't think Josh is mentally stable enough or competent enough to stand trial. I mean, it would be bad enough if it were Josh Rev or Ken. We're talking about the guy that sits behind the resolute desk. I mean, that's the threshold. And I said it Friday, and I'll stand by it. If you think that's okay, I mean, if you think Trump is more dangerous than that, then you're as dangerous as Biden is and far more dangerous than Donald Trump ever was or ever will be in regards to who's running uh, the federal government or not. But imagine that. I mean, imagine the, um, the, 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 I don't know, just the, um, I mean, it's kind of oxymoronic. So you, you're worried about being charged with a crime. Here's a report that says, we believe you committed a crime, but we're not going to charge you with that crime because we don't believe you're mentally stable enough to stand trial. And you go out the same day and said, bull crap, I am mentally stable. <laughs> they just gave you a get out of jail free card, dude. And he goes out the day, the same day that the special counsel says you should be charged with a crime, but we're not going to charge you because we don't think you're mentally stable enough. He goes out and has a press conference. I'm plenty mentally stable. Charge me with a crime. <laughs> I mean, that's, that, 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 that's where we are, guys. And we're worried about Tucker Carlson interviewing Vladimir Putin? Really? I mean, that, that's our biggest concern. What do you think Putin says when he sees that? I mean, I got to believe Putin's got a, a glass of vodka, and he kind of sips and says, those Americans. <laughs> I mean, that, those Americans. I mean, you know, the American century. And Putin basically told Tucker, you know, he's sure. I mean, there are a lot of things he said that you can't trust in. There are a lot of things you, that he said that you would be very skeptical of. But the one thing he said that I agree with and he basically insinuated that, yeah, I mean, we've lived in the American century, but it's about over. I mean, it, it's almost at its end. I mean, he, he kind of sort of predicted that, you know, we'll live in the next Chinese century, 1.5 billion people, economic superpower. I mean, they can't feed themselves. That's going to be a big problem. They don't produce enough food for one and a, who does for one and a half billion people. Be a lot of farming, wouldn't it, um, Rev? Eight four three six six one. Need to be. Oh nine three seven. Let's take a break. We'll be back 
in just a few moments. 843-661-0937, our number. Someone's on the phone. Let's go there. Jeff in Chesterfield. Hello, Jeff. You're on the air. Hey, good morning. Uh, did y'all see the movie uh, 2000 Mule? That was pretty compelling evidence of a crooked election. Anything I've ever seen. Um, it's funny how every time they attack Trump, what Trump says always seems to come to fruition. Uh, it's like uh, they don't have any kryptonite to take him down. And, uh, and you know, just to, to show the, the how idiotic and, and the lunacy of the left, I saw a story this weekend, or maybe it was late last week, one of those uh, uh, ladies on The View, I think her name's Sunny Hoskin, she's always been preaching up reparation that, that uh, the country owes her reparations and come to find out that her, relative, her uh, ancestors were slave owners. I thought that was just comical. The look on her face was just, uh, you know, it's hilarious. But then after, after she found that out, she still said that this country owes her reparations. It's like to me, she owes the country reparations. Uh, well, she's the biggest part of the problem. I'll, and I'll hear you comment. Thank you. Thank you, Jeff. Appreciate that. I watched 2000 Mules, but I watch it as I do all documentaries with some degree of skepticism. I mean, the documentarian comes from a point of view. I think anybody accepts that. I mean, I watched uh, uh, kind of a documentary on HBO Max over the weekend about Chernobyl. I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to watch that documentary and say, okay, that's exactly how it went down. I mean, I know exactly what the Russians did and what they covered up and what they could have done to stop it and where the m- mistakes were made. I mean, there was a documentarian that took a chronological series of events and applied, I would imagine, Rev, some creative liberties. I mean, it's called film. Yeah, it's called expression. It's called um, doing the best you can. Is there an objective? There always is. I mean, there's always an objective. I have no idea what the objective is. I don't think we can live our lives without objective. I mean, I, I just don't. I don't think Rev can be completely and totally removed from who he is and how he sees the world. So when a documentarian decides to take on the story of Chernobyl, I've always been a little bit skeptical of, you know, Superman doesn't fly, so to speak. Um, in the country, we say Superman don't. I don't know why I said doesn't fly. I mean, Superman don't fly. Let me <laughs> be grammatically that was correct. Too yeah. What's up yeah, with that? I mean, who, who, yeah, <laughs> stop that. Um, anyway, um, but 2000 mules provides compelling, you know, evidence. I mean, there's no doubt it's evidence. Um, but I mean, how do you know when, when a woman shows up at two o'clock at night and puts, 50 ballots in the drop box. How do you know they aren't 50 legitimate ballots? I mean, are you skeptical? Of course you are. You should be. I mean, it's 2 o'clock in the morning, and she's got 50 ballots. But Dinesh D'Souza said, well, we know that the election was stolen. No, no. We know that a woman got out of a van at 2 o'clock in the morning and put 50 ballots in a drop box. I mean, we know what that looks like. Seems we know unusual. we kind of, for sure. I mean, and you know it's unusual. And if a gun were to my head and I could say, I mean, hey, sooner or later, we're going to get to the bottom of those 50, 50 ballots or 100 ballots that that woman put in that drop box at 2 o'clock that morning, do you think they're all legit or not? No, they're not all legit. I mean, a gun to my head, no, they're not all legit. But it does not prove the election was stolen. But the documentarian, Dinesh D'Souza, set out 
making that documentary on the premise of what? The election was stolen. He was going to prove the election was stolen. He did He did a great job of making you kind of question what happened. Of course he did. But I don't know if he gave verifiable evidence that the ballots that were cast at 2 o'clock in the morning weren't legitimate ballots. I mean, I don't think they were. But I can't, I mean, I can't base believing the election was stolen on on questions that I still have a lack of answers to. Am I right? I mean, it looks like something doesn't make sense, but there may be a good reason. Let's go to the phone. Jeff in Florence. Hello, Jeff. No, this is Daphne. Oh, hey, Daphne, sorry. Hit the wrong button. Go ahead. Good morning. Uh, Listen, never, never underestimate the rhino's ability to snatch defeat from the jaws of victory because exactly what they should be doing is not what they're doing. They should be out screaming to the top of their voice. We have laws on the books that would secure the border. We have a president that is breaking the law. We have Border Patrol who have been turned into processing agents. We have a president to keep the imagery from being shown of the millions that are coming in, giving the illegals tickets to fly them all over America to get rid of the imagery. So they are not doing what's right. And as for the rhinos, uh, Lindsey Graham is no different than Langford. Lindsey Graham's voting records speaks for itself. No matter what he says, he always capitulates and goes over to the other side. If I live to be a hundred, I will never forget every nominee that Obama put up. He voted for them. He, McCain, and Marco Rubio helped Obama give birth to ISA. They allocated the money to give them to form a terrorist group. It's just like watching two boxers uh, when one takes money to take a fall. That's what a lot of the rhinos and the Republicans are doing. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate that, Daphne. You know, I stand in a little bit different place than a lot of Republicans on the Supreme Court. I mean, I think the president has a right. And I, I think McConnell was wrong. I'm glad he did it. I mean, the, the, the dirty politician in me says, good move, Mitch McConnell, one of the few you've made. But I don't think it was fair. I think Merrick Garland deserved a hearing. I mean, the president of the United States appoints a Supreme Court justice nominee and the Senate advises and consents. I mean, that's the role. That's the way the founders intended. I want to say this again. I'm being, I mean, I'm talking out both sides of my mouth. I'm glad McConnell did what he did, but I think Garland got a bad deal. I think Obama deserved for Obama, excuse me, for Garland to be given a thumbs up or thumbs down vote. And McConnell didn't do it. And the Republicans called a break in Ruth Bader Ginsburg dying while Donald Trump was still president. And it will have a generational effect on, you know, the, the judicial element of our 
of our government. But but I just I don't buy that. The Senate is there to pick a Supreme Court nominee. I think the president picks their nominee and the Senate advises and consents. And if that person is duly qualified, my disagreements of ideology and judicial principle, that's got to be secondary. Take a break. But I want to say again, I got a little bit of dirty politician in me. I'm glad McConnell <laughs> did what he did because that's one of the few branches of government we feel like we've got the upper hand at right now. We'll take a break. We'll be back in just a few moments. Takes Mondays to make Friday. Someone's on the phone. Let's go there. Jeff in Florence. Hi, Jeff. Hey, good morning, guys. Morning. Hey, um, so uh, special counsel that wrote that report, um, did did Merrick Garland do a um, an executive summary and release it and and characterize what it said before the public saw it? <sighs> I don't know if he did or not. I hadn't seen it. He did. He didn't. You know, and and Biden's lawyers and Merrick Garland, the you know Attorney General, Biden's lawyer. That's another Biden's lawyer. (laughs) Yep. Yep. Well, again, Bill Barr took the Mueller report, and did you see the Mueller report before he gave an executive summary? I did not. No. Have you ever seen the Mueller report in its whole entirety? No, and I don't support what Barr did. Okay. But Merrick Garland didn't do that with this report, right? And that's he the way it should have been. for itself. Yeah. That, that's right. So is that two two tiers of justice? That's two AGs. One, I think, did the right thing and the other did not. Would you say that's two tiers of justice? No. I mean, I think two tiers of justice would require – I mean, I think there's two tiers of justice in play. One has been charged with a crime – for knowingly and willfully violating the law pertaining to classified or the handling or not of classified information, and the other is not charged with a crime. To me, that's two tiers of justice. Right. So, so, but uh, Mike Pence did he get charged? There, there. I would agree with you here. There's two theories of legal strategy or two applications of legal strategy, and I guess technically that would be unequal application of the law right but i think that's lawyerly i think you'll agree with me that's a bit lawyerly yeah i'm I'm all for them uh congress wants to investigate this go ahead because you know what you won't find is any redactions you won't find any spin you're going to see a report that was written by a partisan hack and you know the funny thing is is if you if you go back can you find any special prosecutor that was a Democrat in the last 40 years? But, Jeff, your point, I mean, I understand the point you're trying to make, but one ended an indictment and the other didn't. Right, because they were different crimes. I mean, I, I understand that, but no, no, no. The, I mean, the obstruction okay. of justice may be a different crime, but mishandling well, classified information, Trump, and I've said it 100 times, Trump is no doubt guilty of that. Biden is no doubt guilty of that. One has been indicted, the other has not. Right. So, just like Nixon. But you got to agree, isn't that, I mean, if you're asking me a question, i got to ask you one. Isn't that, sure. isn't that unequal application of the law? So, there are people who take documents accidentally and return them, correct? Correct. All the time. Correct. All the time. Right. 
When you don't return them and you actually obstruct the collection of the data, is that a crime? Yes. Okay. Did Mike Pence do that? Yes. No. No, he didn't. You're talking about did Mike Pence mishandle classified information? Yes. Yeah, he did. We, we're agreeing. There are a lot of people that mishandle classified information. But it's still a crime. I mean, I understand what it, you're it saying. Sure the, the severity of the crime rises when you obstruct justice. And the argument is Pence didn't, Biden didn't, but Trump did. And, and you don't disagree with I, that? I don't right? disagree with that. I think you're probably onto something there. Right. Right. And so, so the indictments that he is Jeff, hang on. we got to take a break, the, but it's not sure. a long break. Hang on. We'll be back in a few minutes. I want to allow you to finish your, your thought. Back in a few. 661-0937 takes Mondays to make Fridays. The Monday after the biggest sporting event in the history of mankind, UConn and Lady Gamecock basketball game. <laughs> and then we had a football game that kind of is a opening act for the race. It'll be the Daytona 500 uh, this coming yeah, Sunday. That's so, right. So there, take that, big bad NFL. Now, the big bad NFL is, you know what, Josh? It's big and it's bad. I mean, my wife and I went out last night at halftime of the game. She respected me enough to not mess with me during the game, but she needed something done, needed me to go help her. We went out at halftime. It looked like Chernobyl during COVID. I mean, there was nobody anywhere, or as we folks in Pamplico say, nobody nowhere. Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven. Let's go back to Jeff and make sure we give him a chance to um to express himself. Sorry, Jeff. Hey, no problem. Um, so just uh, j- just to recap on this, uh, the uh, special prosecutor's uh, uh, medical opinion of of Biden. Um, you you seem to think that this uh, um, acuity thing is the biggest issue. Um, I, I think that uh, America will make a decision on that, but uh, I think we're really splitting hairs if we're coming down to uh, this elderly man is better than this elderly man. See, I don't, Jim. Um, I, I, I so don't. you disagree with the assessment, Jeff? You think uh, Biden's on top of his game? Yeah, I think that Biden has lost a step just like anybody who's, who's over, like, 78. Uh, does that mean he's incapable? I mean, what do you think? Biden, I think he's not well, capable. I mean, I, I'm going to try to be as objective as I can. And, and, and I've been critical of Trump, and I get chastised by my listeners when I criticize Trump. I think Trump has said some things that would be better left unsaid. I think Trump has at times shown the signs of being, uh, you know, getting older. But I don't think there's any comparison here to, to Biden. Biden is a right. scary yeah. dude at times, Jeff. He does not seem to comprehend where he is, what he's doing, what, what the moment requires, and that scares me. Um, there's a bit of me. How could you honestly say that? How, because how can, you, how can you honestly not say that? Okay. So 86, so think, 86% of Americans okay. think he's too old for the job. So I'm not, I mean, you would be the oddity, not me. So, so 70 uh, or what is it? Uh, 56% they just said think Trump's too old. Okay. But 86 is a lot more than 56 uh, are we not splitting hairs at this point? Sure. We, no, no, no. I, think, well, I don't think no, we're splitting hairs at all. Under 50%? Nobody's under uh, under 50%? But you're talking about you're talking about nearly 9 of 10 Americans have genuine concern about Biden's age and ability to do the job. And on the other, I mean, 56, that sounds about right for Trump. I mean, we're a 50-50 nation. So you give somebody to say something favorable or not against Trump, 
half the country is going to say the non-favorable. I think you'll accept that as a as a truth. But eighty-six percent. I mean, that means thirty-six percent of Democrats in America today believe that Biden is too old and mentally incapable to do the job. Hey, listen. At the end of the day, November um, is is the is the reckoning, right? If he gets elected, I guess America's got no problem with it. But I do want to say this for you to for you to you've listened to Trump. You've listened to him say that Nikki Haley was the one that wouldn't take his 10,000 troops, which is a lie on January 6th. He doesn't know who the speaker of the house was. You you've heard him say the wrong world leaders uh, of, of the countries that he's talking about. You've heard him say he's in the wrong state. Heard Trump say all these things, but you don't report it. You don't talk about it. The public aren't talking about it. I mean, the the liberal. But, but you don't talk. Well, about I mean, it. but but I'm going to. Well, of course. I mean, I'm talking about things that I believe my listeners are interested in. I mean, this isn't my radio show to self-serve Ken. I mean, I've got to think about things that, and and, and you're talking about it now. I mean, I don't know how many of my listeners are interested. And I I want to say again, Jeff, I'm not arguing that Trump hadn't lost a step. I think most people at 78 probably have, but you're trying to create sort sort of a, a equivalency scale of how diminished Trump is and how diminished Biden is. And I hope that's what the Democrats do. Because it'll be obvious who's more diminished. Biden is far more diminished than Donald Trump is. Again, now now we're getting into an opinion, right? Well, I mean, so this is an opinion shared opinion. by the majority of Americans. I'd like to see them debate. I mean, you can't let Biden debate. I mean, there's no way to let Joe I know, Biden but debate. But that would be a you could do your comparison. Hey, then, can I ask you a question? What happened during the last debate? But you're talking about. I mean, Biden was a different man. I mean, he was fragile. And I think he was a bit impaired before the 2020 election. But but something's happened rapidly. Jeff, something is happening to Joe Biden that I think all of us should be concerned about. Now, now I'm going to tell you, as a, as a kid growing up in a Southern Baptist church and taught to be sympathetic toward elders, I, I feel sorry for him at times. Because it looks to me like, as diminished as he is, his entire clan's livelihood is dependent upon remaining political relevant. It's almost like so, that crowd can't pay their bills if they don't keep him propped up and in some political operative's role. So, so, so let me get this straight. You believe that Biden's family's caught him out there uh, without his knowledge or uh, placating his uh, or, or not um, uh, ignoring his mental deficiencies, but you don't see that Trump is running to just stay out of jail. Well, I mean, I, I don't know that. that. That's a fair argument to make. I mean, I, if I if I were trying to oppose Trump, and I had, I, I just had such disdain for Donald Trump, and, and a lot of Americans do, and I respect that. I mean, I don't have that disdain, but I understand some do. Yes, I would, I would, I would absolutely argue that the reason he wants to be elected is so he can pardon himself and avoid all these horrific crimes he's committed. I mean, that, that would be where I'd go if I hated Trump and had disdain for Trump and America. That, that's exactly the argument I would make. That's a different argument. You're asking me, Jeff, not to believe my lying eyes. And Joe right. Biden well, is significantly saying, diminished. 
So, so your lying eyes, are your lying eyes telling you that Trump knows who the Speaker of the House was on January 6th? I, my, I, here's the argument I make when it comes to Trump. And, and, and we're talking about mano a mano. Donald Trump says things at times that I wish he wouldn't say. Donald Trump but, but says, no, let, let, now you didn't let me finish was. now. Donald yeah, Trump right. says things at other times that are totally inaccurate. Joe Biden appears to be incoherent. Okay. Inaccurate, so, so incoherent. You, I mean, that, that's where I land. Okay. I believe at times Trump, because of his age and probably long days on the campaign trail, says things that are inaccurate. He would probably not say as many of those inaccurate things if he were 58 instead of 78. But I've never seen okay. Trump appear to be incoherent. I have seen Joe Biden at least 15 or 20 times appear to not know where he is or have any idea what he's talking about. And that scares me. And I wish it scared people even, okay. even that don't care much for Donald Trump. So, so on that, just the other day in Conway, Trump went on some rambling, incoherent thoughts about equating countries dumping dates that don't put out. What was he talking about? Can you tell me? He's talking about NATO. I mean, he had press conferences where he said if NATO doesn't pay their fair share, then, you know, uh, we won't defend those nations and we won't honor our agreement. And I mean, there, there's some um, things. That doesn't scare you. No, that, doesn't scare me at all because he seems to have his okay, faculties you know, about him. I can disagree philosophically with what he's saying, and I think a lot of Republicans do disagree with Trump's stance on NATO. But I don't think even the most ardent never-Trump Republicans I've never heard say that guy's completely illiterate. I mean, he's 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 uh, he's incoherent. I mean, he doesn't. He, it's, it's obvious that something something has happened to Donald Trump, and we need some sort of medical diagnosis to clear the air to make sure he's competent and able to do the job. So, I, I, so I've never felt that. like that about Trump. You you you've listened to me long enough. Trump says things at times, and I go like, "Good God, why did he say that?" Or, or why did he say this? But so that that would have been. He says. The things he says are actually dangerous. Now, you can say what you want about Biden and his gaffes, and he's been a gaffe machine his whole career. Is, is Biden's um, gaffes significantly more than they've ever been? No, but the incoherence, that's the okay. point I keep making. Okay. I think you would agree, Jeff, if you did this four hours a day, you're going to make gaffes. Fair enough? I mean, I do. You would. Fair, Anybody fair would. Enough. I mean, when you speak 20 hours a week, you're going to say things that just aren't accurate. You didn't mean to mislead anybody. You weren't trying to lie or pull the wool over anybody. You just got it wrong because you're talking a lot. You say things, and and at times they aren't said the right way. Um, sometimes you know it instantaneously. Others just a day or two or three later when someone reminds you of the mistake you made. But I don't think anybody could accuse me of sounding incoherent. Like I don't have command of the issue I'm talking about. I've never heard Trump speak in a way that leads me to believe he doesn't have a command of where he is and what it is he's talking about. I've seen Biden many, many, many times where he appears to not know where he is or have any clue of what he's talking about. That freaks I, me again, out. I, I'm just going to say I think you might have some rose-colored glasses on. I might too. Okay? I'm just saying I'm that. sure we do. Um, I'm sure you yeah. do, and I'm sure and, I do. It, and I'll say that this Congress, this, this Senate, passed legislation – that absolutely what Trump is talking about with NATO makes it illegal for what Trump is saying to do. And he's actually 
encouraging. He said he would encourage Russia to attack NATO countries that he doesn't feel are worthy of our protection. That doesn't freak you out. I've never took, and you've, you've listened to me, I've never took everything Trump says literally. Why I take not? A, because you take I, everything Biden says is literal. I, I can't understand anything Biden says. How can I take it literally? I mean, I, everything Biden says, it, it, it's just I can't understand what he's saying when he starts down the road of trying to explain where he stands or or, or what he believes. I mean, it, it becomes, if he's not reeling the teleprompter early in the morning, I find it to be very incoherent. I think when he wakes up in the morning, he is at his best. And when they're medicating him in these cycles, he's, he's at his even better. So in the mornings, in these medica- medication cycles, there are times he appears to be somewhat coherent. Other than that, Can- he, he appears to be totally incoherent to me. M- maybe it's just me, but 86% of Americans in varying degrees right. agree with what I'm saying. Yeah. Did you see the list of drugs that were passed out when Trump was president? But, but I, we're not, House? Trump's not the president. No, no, I'm, I'm asking, I'm asking, have you, have you seen what Ronnie Jackson was passing out at the White House? Yeah. Okay. That doesn't alarm you? Of course, any of that alarms me. But but you're not you're, not, you're still not the president of the United States. Jeff, you called in. Can, can can I say you called sure. in and said so? Of the three stories we talked about Friday, you're most concerned about Biden's incoherence. I mean that that was the first I'm question you asked, you. And, and I'm trying to explain the best I know how why I'm concerned about the situation we find ourselves in when an old demented man seems to be incoherent far more than the other old somewhat diminished man doesn't have a job right now you're talking about trump i mean like you're you're saying that you're saying that trump comes off the campaign trail he's weary the man doesn't have a job he doesn't have the weight of the world on his shoulders well, I mean, the man's running a, the man's running a multi-billion dollar family enterprise you know uh is he i mean i would imagine He's flying around on I his mean, own private jet. Somebody's footing the bill. Yeah. Oh, we know who's footing the bill. Who is all that? The, all the, the all the MAGA faithful who are paying all his legal. Jeff, how many American presidents have lost net worth after becoming president? How many? How many presidents well, in your lifetime went into office worth X and left office worth less? How many of them actually you don't know their net worth? Mm, they've done a pretty good job of establishing that everybody since Reagan did. Did the Clintons end up wealthier after the presidency? For sure they did. Did the the, the Bushes end up wealthier after the presidency? Sure they did. Did the Obamas end up wealthier after the presidency? Sure they did. Did the Bidens end up wealthier after the presidency? Sure they did. Did the Trumps end up wealthier after the presidency? Absolutely. Nah, I mean, he took a significant hit in his network. You don't think Jared Kushner is is worth significantly more? But but uh, based on what? No, no. Based on two billion dollars from Saudi Arabia. Well, I mean, okay. Based I mean, on I, a I just don't dollar investment from Cutter. Now, now we're talking about Cutter investments, <laughs> and I get it. Well, I mean, I, mean, I, I, I no, I, I understand. You got a real bad hand family? to play. 
And the guy that is your worst political nightmare looks more than likely to become president again. I mean, I understand the concern, and I understand the distraughtness. If you want to ignore facts, if you want to ignore facts, that's okay. But those are members. The of fact, the, the fact is, the most recent fact you and I can chew on together is a special counsel report that says, insinuates, argues in a very legal fashion that the president of the United States committed a crime, but he's not going to suggest or recommend indicting of a crime because he would come across as a sympathetic old man who has lost a great deal of his cognitive capacities. Hey, can I ask you a question? How many times did Donald Trump say, I can't recall when he was deposed? How many times would anybody say, I can't recall when deposed? Every lawyer I've ever had give me advice about depositions is say, I can't recall. If you don't know the exact answer, so I can't recall. Record, so, so on the record, we know that Trump can't remember anything. I, Trump did what most business guys and ladies do when, when deposed. Jeff, we got to take a break. I think I've given you. you more than – thank you, man. Appreciate you. We're worried that Jeff may not call back. That's why we gave an extended, an extended episode of the Jeff and Ken show on um, on this Monday on this Monday morning. Wow. Well, I mean, I, I, I get it, but it, it's still it, – I'm sorry, Jeff. And I, it's Trump derangement syndrome center stage. So if he I mean, believes that Biden is mentally competent, he's disputing what the special counsel report said, then does he believe that – Biden should be indicted. Well, I mean, the, the special counsel said he shouldn't be indicted because he's not fiscally right. nor mentally able to stand trial. So he can't really be both. So if he's arguing that, uh, well, that you, Biden is certainly competent, then I you, guess the argument you, is... You, you can't if you're judge, jury, and all. I mean, yeah. I mean, you can right. under certain rare circumstances that you control everything <laughs> about everything. I mean, Trump's an outsider. Biden is not. Take a break. Back in a few. Last 30 minutes of the day, 843-661-0937 is our number. We hadn't heard from Jeff since he and I got a bit testy toward one another. So I wanted to be gracious and generous and treat them differently than they treat us. Not insult, as uh, as America Firsters are constantly and consistently insulted. And the weirdness about this is the very people that wish America First would be banished from the political stage are the people most responsible for America first, never vanishing the American <laughs> political stage. Let's go to the phone. Charles in Lamar. Good morning, Charles. Good morning. You know, Jamie Dimon hit the nail on the head when he said that this news media need to have a little bit more respect for the um, extreme MAGA Republicans, as, as we're being called now. Um, the, the, um, we are real people with families and, uh, the, the way the media portray us and talk about us is really disheartening based on your last phone call. I'm going to have to make some changes in my life. I have six grandchildren, two, two of them are boys. And yesterday I called the youngest one by the oldest one's name by mistake. So it's time for me to hang it up. I think it's time for me to retire. I won't be able to work anymore because I confused uh, Nikki with uh, Nancy or something similar to that. Anyway, that's my thought. Thank you. Thank you, Charles. Appreciate it. I mean, I I forget a lot. I mean, I, I try not to. I make notes and I 
I mean, you know, it's getting worse. I mean, I forget more now than I did 10 years ago. I'm sure more than 20 years ago, but I don't ever think I've been coherent or incoherent. I'm sorry. Uh, coherent. You got it right the first time. Uh, did you? Uh, I just think Biden at times seems so diminished that he doesn't know what he's talking about. I'll tell you guys, and I mean this sincerely, I'm not trying to just, just uh, placate it. I mean, it, it seems to me at times that he is so out of it, I find sympathy. I mean, I do. I find like, wow, man, I mean, somebody help him. I mean, it's uh, yeah, on a human level. I mean, of it is. I mean, it, because I, I was raised believing that you judge a society by how we treat our most vulnerable. And the two most vulnerable groups in our world are the unborn and the elderly. I mean, I'm, t- I'm not talking about across the board. Sure, there's probably a 75-year-old that whipped my butt. But, but on average, the most vulnerable amongst us are the unborn and old people. And I was taught to be compassionate toward old people, try to help them if they need help the old, you know, help the old lady across the street kind of as an example. So when I hear Biden struggle and bumble and fumble and, and ramble incoherently, I mean, I don't find any joy in that. I mean, I, I, and it's not mistaken this person for that person or mistaken that policy for that policy. I mean, it's just an absolute incoherence. I mean, there, there's a look in his face like, they told me what to say, but I can't remember. I mean, I don't find any joy in that. I mean, I want to beat him at the poll. And, I, and, I, and I'll say this in the best, most inhumane way imaginable. I mean, his family's agreed to let him do this. I mean, Jill and Hunter and all the uh, Joe, I mean, the people that, you know, love him the most. I mean, they've agreed to let him go out and demonstrate or not the ability to be. Uh, you know, the chief executive officer of the largest economy and government in the world. And that makes me uncomfortable because he seems to be a man at times that has no clue about what the expectations are, what the liberals, the deliverables are, how to do the job. And I mean, it wouldn't take me but a minute. I mean, I could, for 30 minutes tomorrow, I could play example after example after example of him not mistaking someone for someone else but rather demonstrating just a, a certain incoherence. And this guy has the codes to the largest nuclear weaponry in the world. And it's hard for me to fathom that if you're nervous about Trump and you're not nervous about that, you're, you're a, I mean, I, and I get it. I mean, I can be this just as easily as you can. I can become a political hack in a nanosecond. But let's admit that that's what this is. This is political hackery. It's not intellectual honesty. You're not intellectually honest with yourself. If you say, wow, Trump doesn't need to be near the codes for the largest nuclear weaponry that man knows. But Biden does. Let's go to the phone. Michael in Johnsonville. Ah, You're on. Hey, Ken. Good morning, you guys. Hey, look here. um, You know, Ken, it's something that you're just not going to rationalize with an irrational person. And maybe he's not irrational, that Jeff guy, but um, he sure is. He said you were looking through rose-colored glasses, but I think he's looking through a mud. But, um, you know, when it comes down to it, we can't live in the past. Um, you know, the past is the past. We won't get it back. We have to look to the future. And um, if it comes down to Trump and Biden, you got to ask yourself, I mean, who do you want leading you in the future? Um, and who are these world leaders 
uh, who would they be more apt to be in line with? Um, somebody like Biden or somebody like Trump that's going to hold them accountable. Um, I, I just I can't see I can't see where Biden is going to. I mean, he looks like he needs to have his diaper changed and eating pudding out of a, a cup or something. I mean, not not sitting there behind the White House desk leading this nation. So that's that's all I had to say. Um, y'all can take it with there. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate that. And I, I mean, I don't think anybody like. I mean, that, that's unfair. People do like saying that. I mean, some people take joy in you know uh, drinking out of a straw and eating somebody feeding him and changing his bed. I mean, there, there's a certain. I mean, it's, it's political. And it's, and it's just the way politics are. You look for every advantage you can get and gain. But in a real-world sense, take politics out of the equation. If I were at church Sunday and an old man stood up and, and was visibly diminished and began rambling incoherently, I would be as uncomfortable for him as he is for himself, probably more so. And there's been at least a dozen times that Biden has appeared in that shape. Uh, I've seen him, I guess, on his A game. I mean, as good as his A game is today. And it's normally in the mornings. And it's normally, I believe, and I'm estimating here, I don't know. I'm making, uh, you know, speculative. But that's all I can do from afar. I mean, I'm not his doctor. I'm not his handler. I don't know what time he goes to bed and what time he gets up. I don't have any idea if he exercises or not. I mean, the one good thing, he doesn't appear to be overweight. I mean, Biden appears to be fairly fiscally fit. Uh, if you want to look at it that way, that's probably, I'll give you that. I mean, if you talk about who's more physically fit, and I'm not talking about mentally cognitive, uh, what well, mentally and cognitive, I mean, I'm co- cognitively aware, cognitively stable. I mean, I think Biden is as far inferior to Trump in that regard. But if you say, okay, how about BMI index? I mean, I, yeah, Trump's got a few LBs to lose. No question about it. Lay off them fish sandwiches with extra tartar sauce. That's a good start. Let's go to the phone. David in the PD. Hello. Hey, good morning. Uh, when I was thinking about, uh, I guess they call it the Nancy slash Nikki gaff uh, or faux pas, at least the media admitted that Nancy Pelosi was in charge of uh, January 6th. So we never heard that before from the media. And I'm thinking, Ken, you were talking about, you actually watched Meet the Press yesterday. You saw Chris Christie. Now, why do you think he was on that show yesterday? Uh, it can't Depending. be to draw ratings. I mean, it can't be. <laughs> Nobody cares what Chris Christie says. I mean, I get it. He's a yeah. never-Trumper. He is, says he wrote a book, and he says, I'm dedicating the rest of this year to make sure Donald Trump does not get elected. That's good enough for okay. me to the press, I guess. Well, this is the sad part about you admitted it. It's a book deal. He's got a book deal. What's his book called? What Would Reagan Do? Now, Ronald Reagan was a man that lived 55 years of his life in the private sector. The dude was in the radio business. He rode horses with Errol Flynn, which was the biggest actor back in those days. I mean, he lived life. He, Chris Christie would be a great example of he comes back and says, I was a, a DA, whatever, back in September 10th, uh, 2000. His whole life is based on government. Uh, and then when we get people like a caller that called in, uh, well, how does Joe Biden make his money? How does Obama make his money? How does uh, Bernie Sanders make his money for book deals? And the sad part about this, man, these cats ain't never been a private sector taxpayer in their whole life, and that's how they make their money. And, yeah, they do uh, 
pay taxes, but look at, think about the Mitt Mafia. Y'all have a good day. Thank you, David. Appreciate that. Well, I mean, I want to go back. Remember uh, earlier today, and I want I really want to go down this road one day this week. Um, we talked about M2 Money Supply, talked about the printing of money. There, there's a lot of arguments out there to be made now that since we normalized quantitative easing, and that would have been in 08, remember what I said earlier this morning, Josh, two-thirds of the currency in existence today didn't exist in 2007 before the world blew up, before we normalized quantitative easing and, and you know, just printed money and stimulated the economy and bailed banks out and funded government programs. And all of a sudden, Rev says he picks up as much at the grocery store and puts down as he does put in his buggy. I mean, I, I, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I mean, I am with you. I am not a tightwad. I'm not a spendthrift. I'm certainly, I don't think, irresponsible. But, I mean, I catch myself pecans, walnuts, I mean, things that I like, things that are kind of healthy for you. I'll pick up a bag of walnuts and I'm about to put them in the buggy and it'll say, you know, sixteen ninety nine. I'm like, good land. I mean, that's not cocaine. That's walnuts. But I put it back and, and move along because I don't have to have um, walnuts. The inflation era that we're living in is not your fault. And I want you to remember this. Here's what the Democrats and the Republicans gave you since 2008. Most people believe that all in, you're north of 50% in taxes. State, local, federal, sales, payroll, blah, 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 blah. Every dollar you get, the government gets roughly half of it. They've diminished the value of the half they let you keep by probably 30%, maybe 35%. I mean, that's what the, the U.S. government has done for you and your buying power. They take half your money, Josh, and the half they let you keep, they figure out a way to make it worth about two-thirds what it should be. That's why the American working class is struggling. That, in essence, is the rise of America first. It is the essential of America first. They're not doing things that empower the American worker, empower uh, the American family, the empower uh, the American way of life. They do about everything, whether they do it intentionally or not, to make life harder for the average American worker. And guess what? The average American worker's had enough. They're tired of putting walnuts back down. (laughs) (laughs) And whatever Rez said, he picked up and puts it back down. Take a break. Back in a few. 843-661-0973. 843-661-0937 is our number. Someone's on the phone. Let's go there. Bryce in Florence. Good morning, Bryce. You are on the air. Hey, um, I had two two points that kind of stem from the conversation during the Ken and Jeff hour. But um, one of them <laughs> talked about um, the question about age, and I forgot the, the numbers you said, but the people that thought Biden was too old versus thought Trump was too old, one was in the upper 80s and one was, just over 50. Yeah, 86 and um, 56. And I think there's only about a four-year age difference between the two. And so, obviously, that there shouldn't be that big a difference when you're talking about just four years of age difference. So, I, I almost think that's a brilliant question. It's kind of like, um, I think his name's Kahaley, where he said, who's your neighbor voting for? So, it kind of takes the pressure off you having a bullseye for how you answer it. And 
And, I mean, either way, you're going to get about 50% that say either candidate's bad. But now you're kind of giving an out to to take it away from being just anti-Trump or anti-Biden. It, it really lets you, like, honestly assess them. And, and I don't think they're even saying is that age um, too old. I, I think they're saying is this person mentally not capable. So um, I think it's a lot more about Biden and Trump and not, not the age number, which everybody knows, but, but obviously the other side tries to deflect that. Um, the second point I was going to just make is when, when I look at Biden, my dad, he, he passed away three years ago, but he had Parkinson's for 19 years. And, and when I see Biden stumbling and mumbling and, and not being able to walk or know where he is, I mean, it, it's it's really similar to what my dad went through in his dementia and whatnot. And I mean, and and I feel sorry for him as a person, but he's also got the job as president. And I mean, to see the leader of our country in that state, I mean, I can't imagine. I mean, my dad was medicated. Um, they were giving him medication to try to let him enjoy each day, get through each day, not not be in a state where it's like he's taking his final exam, getting up and giving speeches. And when you think of the drugs they're probably pumping him full of to be fully alert through any time he's in the public. I mean, when you're in college, you hear kids taking Adderall and, and things to, to get through a big test, but they're not doing it every day throughout the day. And I mean, a lot of his decline could be from, I mean, just this over medication of whoever's pulling the strings. I mean, they don't care about him as a person. They need him to do whatever he was put in office to do. I mean, that's a conspiracy theory, but um, I mean, they're just using them till, till he's no good to them anymore. And they don't care these massive side effects that are coming out of whatever they're pumping them full of to keep them alert. But that's just my point. I couldn't imagine people using my dad in that way and, and saying, instead of extending a quality of life as many years as we can, we just need you for a couple more years. So we're, we're going to, pump you full of every drug and all we can to, to, to get every ounce of use we can from you, and then we don't care about you after that. So just my just my perspective. Thank you, Bryce. Appreciate that. I knew Bryce's father bought grinder blades, uh, some industrial supplies from Bryce's dad. And I remember when Bryce's dad began kind of having some serious issues and when he was unable um, to go to work. I mean, I'll say this, and this is complete speculation. It's my opinion. It's not a fact. I think the Biden family – are very similar to the Memphis Mafia and Joe Biden is Elvis. I mean, I think that boy's got to be on that stage for all of us to get paid. I mean, if that boy ain't on that stage, not only is Colonel Parker's life different, but everybody that grew up with him that have freeloaded and, and leached off, I mean, your lives are different. So pump him full of whatever we got to pump him full of and get him on that stage. I think Joe Biden, and there's a little bit of sympathy I have, for Biden being the quote-unquote meal ticket. And I think the Bidens have ridden that train until, and I think they'll ride that train until they can't ride it any longer. And and as sympathetic as I want to be about a man in that situation, the family has benefited enormously. I've asked this question before. How do the Bidens get rich? I mean, none have ever had established jobs. I mean, they're all consultants and they're investors and they have LLCs and shell companies. How did the Bidens get rich? And to what degree are they willing to ride Joe Biden until the last moment? I mean, they killed Elvis. At the end of the day, the, the, the moochers and freeloaders killed Elvis Presley.
Now, Elvis probably felt like he owed them that. I don't know. Biden loves his family. I would never argue he doesn't love his family. And the dirty secret is I got to get out there because if I don't get out there, the wheels fall off this thing. And if the wheels fall off this thing, the Biden's legacy and family look fundamentally different. Ain't no beach houses, no mansions, no home formerly owned by the DuPonts. Now, forget I started in public service in the 70s, and all I've ever done was a U.S. senator, and we bought a home formerly owned by the wealthiest family in all of Delaware, one of the wealthiest families in all of the world. Let's do some trivia. 843-661-0937 is our number. I want to thank Pepsi of Florence. They sponsor this nonsense. We thank them for that. Yesterday was the biggest sporting event of the year, and it wasn't close. The Gamecock women just <laughs> killed the UConn women, and then we had this football game that came along. At the end of the football game, there's a trophy presentation, the Lombardi Trophy, named after Green Bay Packer coach Vince Lombardi. That trophy is made by an iconic luxury jeweler. Who makes the Lombardi Trophy annually? From scratch. Who makes the Lombardi Trophy annually from scratch? 843-661-0937 is our number. Thanks to Pepsi of Florence for their support and sponsorship. Do we have a call? Hi, you are on the air. What's your answer? That would be Tiffany and Company. Tiffany and Company make the Lombardi Trophy every single year from scratch. Who is this and where are you calling from? Patrick from Florence. Patrick, sit tight. We'll get you back to Josh. He'll get all your, I would say your vitals, but we don't need that. We just need your name. Uh, so you can come by and pick up your your six-pack of Pepsi product. Couple of takes Mondays to make Friday's T-shirts. Um, it's rumored or reported or speculated that Tiffany and company vice president actually sketched the trophy out at a lunch with NFL commissioner at the time, Pete Rozelle, back in the mid to late 60s. And Tiffany, every year, um, design uh, they don't design it's been designed they make the lombardi trophy uh from scratch so thanks to pepsi of florence congratulations to um uh, the kansas city chiefs for becoming i guess a dynasty back I mean, to back that's yeah, rare I mean, back to back three and five years they played for another i mean you know uh mahomes and reed are a great great duo of quarterback and, and head football coach San Francisco is good. I mean, they're really good, but great beats really good about every time. And I had a feeling when they did score a touchdown in overtime, Mahomes and Reed will figure out a way to win this. I was in pulling the end. for Debo, though. Yeah, I was pulling for Debo, but he got Debo stays hurt. But he runs so violent. He's kind of like a, a, a wrecking ball <laughs> that wrecks himself as much as he does uh, the others. Enjoy your Monday. We'll talk tomorrow.